This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a big edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Hustler-Patterson with you along with Michael Remus. And uh, we got a lot to get to today. Bombers continue their preparations for the Grey Cup. And tonight, of course, is the long-awaited Jets Hall of Fame game with Tamu Solani and Teppo Newman going into the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame. The two Finnish stars met the media earlier today, had some laughs with the assembled crew, and are looking forward to uh, being welcomed by the Canada Life Centre crowd tonight up into the rafters. And of course, the Jets are taking on the Anaheim Ducks to begin their homestand, coming off that quick back-to-back last weekend in Calgary and Seattle. We are all over both of these stories. We've got a great conversation coming up with Marshall Ferguson of TSN and CFL.ca. Marshall, I believe DT referred to him as the Dan Orlovsky of the Canadian Football League, and that is about the best way to describe Marshall. He has one of the greatest football minds, a great friend of the program. Can't wait to have him on. And we'll also talk about this game tonight. Some interesting lineup possibilities as well as a recall, which will make a lot of people happy. We'll get to that with Brandon Rowicki. And we'll also remember the legendary impact of Tepu on Timu here in Winnipeg from the legendary longtime voice of the Winnipeg Jets, Kurt Keelback, and their former teammate, Mike Eagles. It's going to be a real fun one. Great to have you all with us, folks. Before we get into it, i got to give a big thanks to all the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Princess Auto, Not Auto Corp, Cool Bet Canada, Consolidated Supply, Vita Health Fresh Market, Wallace & Wallace, Royal Sports, F Apparel, Culligan Water, Canadian Club Whiskey, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course, our friends at Little Brown Jug. Thanks again to everyone that filled out that Little Brown Jug survey. Greatly appreciated. We'll announce the, uh, they'll be announcing the winner a little later on and getting that delivered out for a big Grey Cup party for uh, one lucky winner of the people that uh, filled out the survey that they put together. Um, let's get to it. We've got a lot to uh, to go over. We're going to start off with tonight's game, Rick Bonus, and then get into a little more Timo and Tepu, and of course, Bombers at the Grey Cup, but we can't get this party started without Michael Remus showing up. Remo, what's going on? How are you? It's busy. This is uh, this is one of the fun uh, fun shows us that uh, we do. There's a lot going on. Two, I think, pretty big stories. The Bombers in the Grey Cup going for their three-peat and then the Jets Hall of Fame. And uh, this is pretty awesome, you know, for a lot of people seeing Timo, Timo Solani and Teppo Newman back in Winnipeg. And we kind of had, uh, we had the Timo game in 2011, and then we had the Heritage Classic. They were both there. But now, again, the uh, Hall of Fame. Very cool for me to see the banner with the Jets 1.0 logo. I see you laughing over there. What's... I, I'm, I'm, Maul, Maul's in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Maul asked, will Chad and Oleg yeah. be at the game tonight? Maul, did we really have to go there right off the yeah, bat? We're not reminding gonna... everyone of the trade of Team Solani to yeah. the Anaheim Ducks. I, I saw I saw that too. <laughs> I was not ready for that, Maul. I was not prepared for that in the chat right off the top of the show. Um, but yeah, I think this is pretty cool. And I'm enjoying a lot of the social content the Jets <laughs> are putting out yesterday, recreating the uh, new boss picture. Oh, was that awesome? 
I got to give a shout out to Josh Dudich. Uh, Josh has done uh, some really great work behind the scenes. Most people wouldn't know it, but I guess he had the idea of that. He fired out some of the pictures from behind the scenes of making that happen. And uh, that was uh, just another home run by the Jets on social media. They really stepped up the game this year, but that in particular was so cool. Everyone, if you were around at that time, remembers the magical 92-93 season to Tamu Solani with the 76 goals. And, of course, the new boss poster that was on literally every kid's wall in the city of Winnipeg and province of Manitoba. And I got to say, both Timu and Teppo look absolutely amazing right now, Remo. It's almost like if there's a couple more injuries for Bones tonight, they might be able to uh, lace them up and play in the game tonight. Um, oh, this is going to be really, really fun. But, yeah, you're seeing it if you're with us on YouTube right now, wearing the retro reverse jersey, sitting on top of the net. What an awesome, awesome photo and a great idea by the team of the Jets. Yeah, so he, Josh uh, tweeted out, and I retweeted him. He said that he got access to a the Jets archive photos from 92 to 96, and I would love you get oh. some gold. There's so, so much gold in there, I'm sure. Uh, absolutely. Incredible. And yeah, the new ball, I mean, there was no YouTube uh, in 1993. You couldn't just pull up highlights anytime you wanted. Everyone had that VHS tape. And I know my cousin showed it to him. I know he would watch it before, like every time he played hockey. And everyone, uh, I mean, everyone had had the tape. We're seeing it in the comments. And uh, what, what a time, Huss. And I did tweet out the intro from uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk. It's on YouTube. You can search for a new boss. People have ripped the VHS and put it on. So it lives on was on forever but incredible tape and this this photo and all the stuff we're going to see on social media and tonight is uh brings back a lot of great memories and also creates some new ones yeah that new boss uh vhs tape was um the maybe the number one stocking stuff or present uh, that christmas of that year when they made that thing happen and uh but as I said, just so many great memories from uh, from those individuals that gave us so many incredible moments as members of the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, Kurt Kielbach's going to join us. We'll talk about uh, you know the uh, both of those guys' impact and really looking forward to having Mike Eagles on as well, who is a very different player than both of those, but we'll have some great perspective on uh, playing with both Timu and Teppa, what they were like on the ice and what they were like as teammates as well. Um Couple things to get to. Listen, we are going to talk Grey Cup a little later on, Remo. Uh, but we should mention right off the bat that uh, the Bombers have a closed practice today. So we will not be hearing much about preparations for the club from the assembled media in Regina. As I mentioned, we'll talk about both practices yesterday with uh, Marshall Ferguson a little bit later on. But we should address Zach Caleros because... Um, no no practice for the quarterback yesterday. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I think I said this earlier that they might keep him sort of under wraps for, you know, the early part of the of the week, maybe participate in the walkthrough. Uh, it still seems like he is a go to start right now. But the minute he wasn't out there for practice, I think that does give some speculation that Zach won't be 100% for the game. And I think the big question for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is just how limited he will be mobility-wise um, because we all know that when Zach has an opening, uh, he can be absolutely deadly. And uh, that Bomber offense has really made teams pay when Jack Caleros has been able to get out of the pocket moving around. Yeah, his scrambling ability and ability to throw the deep ball makes him such a weapon. You saw it so many times this year, finding Dalton showing on, on broken plays, and they had that connection. And um, I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We probably won't know how he's feeling until the first, you know, couple, the first drive. 
about that uh, ankle, and they did officially list it as ankle on an injury report, report but that is uh, one of the two injuries that we're keeping an eye on in, in Winnipeg and very important for the Bombers. And it's funny, John Hodge uh, actually tweeted out at John D. Hodge from 3 Down Nation we have on here uh, frequently. He said he spoke to an Argos DB who said they were fully pre- he got the impression they were f- fully preparing for Caleros because the DB thought Prukop, not Drew Brown, was the primary backup and Prukop <laughs> going. It was a short yardage guy. He did have a, a nice throw last game. But yeah, if Caleros out, it would be Drew Brown, who did look good in that first game uh, when he had Caleros at the uh, concussion protocol. But we'll be watching us. I don't know what to make of this. I'm kind of... Kind of getting nervous after he didn't practice yesterday. And we and yeah, the close practice, so we're not really gonna know much today. Yeah, tomorrow uh we'll make uh, I'll make my official pick in the lock shop with Dusty when we I get wonder, going. By I the wonder. way. Yeah. Well <laughs> well, you know what? Honestly, I mean, I really do think that this could be a close game. Um, I mean, the Argos of all the teams coming out of the East were the team that, you know, if we remember the head to head matchups between these clubs, they have been very, very tight with the bombers and could have easily won that game this year if it weren't for the missed uh, convert at the end when they came back to tie it up. That being said, the Bombers are made for the playoffs. They're made for the cold. They're made for a championship game on the prairies in the middle of November and certainly are the favorites. But I do, I, I think back to, to Strevler in that game and the touchdown pass that he threw to uh, to Andrew Harris. I would love, and we'll probably have to wait a little closer to game time for the full list of props over with their friends at CoolBet. I would love to know what the touchdown prop is or the odds on the Bombers having a touchdown pass thrown by someone other than Zach Caleros in the game. Um, And you mentioned it. I mean, Prukop has been a guy that has shown he's normally running the football, but they have popped in a few wrinkles. And, you know, if history has told us anything... The Bombers save a few of those interesting plays for when they really do need it. And no need to leave anything uh, in the holster this uh, Sunday afternoon when the Bombers take on this, the Toronto Argonauts. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if those guys did get into the game at times. And obviously we hope that it'll be mostly Zach, but um, I think all hands on deck and they'll be ready to go if, in fact, the quarterback does need to be uh, spelt or Worst case scenario, replaced at times because he's not able to go. But I don't think that's the concern right now. And certainly, as you mentioned, the Argos are planning to see the MOP. Yeah, Prukop, I mean, it's a good strategy. You, he's such a threat to run, but they haven't been afraid to occasionally, you know, have him throw, like, you know, third and short. It's a good time, or second and short, I guess, good time for a fake. You know, try to throw it deep, catch him off guard when everyone thinks you're going to rush. So, uh, I could see a touchdown not being thrown by Claris. I wonder if they're going to have that as a prop because it's certainly possible. You know, even if he does start, he takes a hit or something and has to come out. It's going to be it's going to be a storyline for the for the whole game. And, and this is being brought up a lot this week too. We all remember Chris Trevler with the broken foot. So, like I don't know how it's amazing how he was so effective in that Grey Cup against Hamilton and even the last couple of games. So the, we do know the Bombers medical team, uh, Alcatraz, this guy's a miracle worker. So. Uh, hopefully they have him taped up and ready to go. I don't know what they, you know, have to give him. It's, uh, take some Tylenols. He doesn't feel anything. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, Whatever it takes, might be something a little more than a Tylenol. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be taped up, ready to go. And uh, the Bombers as a team will be ready. And we'll talk more about it with Marshall Ferguson. And then we'll uh, have quite a bit. Ken is in Regina, Weeb's World. 
He'll join us tomorrow on the program. We'll also have Ed Tate and uh, Mike Hogan, voice of the Argos. So we'll really dive into uh, almost a full Grey Cup preview tomorrow. But Murata Tesh will also join us to uh, recap tonight's game and look ahead to the Pittsburgh Penguins visit on Saturday night and the Canes coming up on Monday. Um, but listen, before we get to some memories from Kurt Kielbach on uh, Temu and Tepu, as well as um, Brandon Rewicki on tonight's game, Remo, let's get to everything that came out of the morning skate. Um, first things first, Vili Hainla recalled today for the Winnipeg Jets. That was certainly music to the ears of many fans that would like to see Vili get an opportunity up with the big club. But it seems like this recall has a lot to do with um, some uncertain lineup decisions and some game time decisions for players in the Jets lineup right now. Yeah, it was an optional skate. And so not a lot we can take from it. But we saw, you know, earlier this week, uh, Dylan DeMello uh, missed a practice. So I was it was a surprise they called up Hainala because it was a forward in Mason Appleton who was put on IR. So maybe there's a couple guys. There is a you know a narrative if you want to go in. Maybe they called up Hainala because two Finnish guys being put in to the Jets Hall of Fame. Wouldn't it be great to have Billy Hainala, a Finnish player, in the lineup? We saw the Leafs do this last week, and when Boreas Salming was being honored, they started all their Swedish players. So. I know they they we can play the clip from Rick Bonus, but like they're not revealing a- anything about what this lineup is going to look like in terms of you know why he was recalled and if he's going to be in. I'm I don't know how maybe there's that's the narrative here. They called you know look I think it would be nice. The guy's agent spoke out today. He's being frustrated. Wouldn't it be a nice thing to do for him. Put him in the lineup tonight. Yeah, I, I, I mean I, I know. And Kenneth said when he does get called up, he's not going back. I mean I'm not sure whether this is strictly precautionary or there is more to it certainly you know with what's happening right now with the forward group and 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 this news which we'll get to for Nikolai Ehlers coming up in a second after we hear from Bones um you know I know there's not many people that are thinking that this could potentially lead to that long-awaited player move involving a defenseman going out and a forward coming back in uh, but let's focus in here you know, on the here and now right now um, and get to a little bit of Rick Bonus. Um, let's go with the first clip, Ramo. And Bones, you know, talked about the uncertainty of the lineup tonight, and the number of game time decisions that um, it will have to be made after warmup. Sorry, let me just get decisions. Yeah, there's a couple of guys that there will be game time decisions. So, yeah, there will be a couple of changes. Um. You won't say who they are, though? No. Okay. Uh, uh, Vili was recalled from the Manitoba Moose Is that because of some of those game time yes. decisions? Yes, it is. And uh, Vili's played uh, a lot better down there. They've been getting great reports from him. So we need... Um, we need a little depth up here right now because of that, and uh, uh, so that's why he's here, and we'll see where it goes for, for tonight. You, you've had the mindset when you call guys up, you don't want them sitting too long, so um, would the idea be if he's going to be here, he's going to play at some point? So if, uh, depending on the length of time he's here, he'll play at some point. Yeah, I can avoid the question. <laughs> and I know you're going to ask me with the same question with different wording, but that's okay. Uh, wily old veteran Bones, not wanting to play his cards too much, but um, certainly Billy Hanela, step closer to be in the lineup. The fact that he's with the team right now 
Uh, and we will find out more as we get closer to game time as to who may or may not be in the lineup. And I'm with you, Remo. I mean, it would be a really cool story. First of all, I mean, I think the young guy, um, you know, deserves to get a crack into the lineup. It is busy right now. I mean, it's crowded. Uh, and the Jets, I mean, listen, the Jets have allowed the fewest goals in the National Hockey League so far. So hard to spend too much time, um, you know, hammering on the guys that have been in the jo- in the lineup because they have been doing the job. That being said, I think Philly Hanela does bring an element to his game that's not there on the blue line right now. And certainly in the future, he will be there. How soon that happens, I guess we'll see. And certainly injuries will have a big part of it. Uh, Bones did talk a little bit more about Hanela. Uh, where he's at right now as he gets recalled to the Winnipeg Jets and would be a possibility for tonight's game. I'm hearing great reports on his uh, last couple of games. So listen, he's a big part of the future of the of the franchise. You, want, you look at the way the league is played today. The offensive defenseman, you need the mobility, you need the passer, you need the guy to join the rush. He fits that bill. Um, so that's why he was a first-round pick, and we still have great hopes for him. Like I'm just trying to tell, explain to him that the, the way you play is the way the league is, is being played now, so you need a little more experience. But he was disappointed in the start of his season. But he's very happy with his play right now. So we've got to get to the point where we're getting a phone call from the staff down there saying this guy is he's too good for the league and you need to get to give a look at him now. Uh, we haven't got there yet, but we're getting a lot closer. And I just want him to know that we're, when that time comes, that we will give him a good opportunity. All right. So this Rick bonus on uh, Vili Hanlet's situation right now with the recall for tonight's game and potentially longer, depending on injuries with the Winnipeg Jets. Now, Remo, this is a lot of good news and a lot of good vibes around the game tonight with Timu and Teppo here, and obviously where the Jets are in the standings and the way that they played so far. And, you know, just overall, the start to the season for the Winnipeg Jets coming out of last year. The one thing that has been a real concern and it's been building lately is injuries. Morgan Barron is out. Now Mason Appleton's out 8 to 12 weeks. But obviously the biggest hole in the lineup right now has been left by Nikolai Ehlers, who played the first two games of the season and has been off the ice for the better part of the last month. Skated yesterday, and it sounded like there was some optimism going into today. I would say we need to couch that optimism right now. Here's what Rick Bonus had to say about the status of Nikolai Ehlers this morning after the morning skate. Good question, and he, he he obviously didn't skate today, and we're going to have to make a call here eventually, very soon here, what we're going to do with him. Reading between the lines, what I'm guessing that the decision would come down to, does he need surgery or not? It's, it's the, nothing's off the table with Nikolai right now, let's put it that way, and we're just, again, we're going to have to, uh, that's decisions that, you know, the other people will make, but right now we're, as we speak right now, we're not there. So we'll just, it's, I know it's, I'm talking around the, the question, but I can't give you a definitive answer on that. I can't. Is it a groin injury? It's a lower body injury. <laughs> All right. Well, a, a couple smiles and a laugh at the end, but not a laughing matter if um, surgery is a possibility for Nikolai Ehlers and Reem. Um, you know, like everyone, I mean, it's been a lot easier to hold out for Nikolai Ehlers while the team's been winning hockey games and playing the way that they've been doing and, and getting the results that they've been. But I think everyone realizes that this team absolutely needs Nikolai Ehlers in the lineup if they want to be the best that they can be. And after missing a month and now hearing that everything is on the table, 
I got to admit, I mean, that, that is rattling for Jet fans to hear right now, uh, considering how important he is to this team. Yeah, it's not good, Huss. What happened to like 10 to 12 Seven days? 7 to 10 days. Seven, what happened to that? It reminds me when Toby Enstrom was like day-to-day -day, uh, for a whole season a couple years back. Uh, but the, they're hurting on Ford right now. Barron out, Appleton out, Ehlers out. That's three guys who were in the opening day lineup, not in. And you have to wonder if they're going to go out and try to acquire a forward. And they had Sam Gagne lining up on the top line with Connor and Shafley. But is that a long-term solution? Um, the third line the other day was Janssen, Fialbi, Lowry, and Isamont. So we'll have to wait and see. But not ideal. And I wasn't, you know, I they said 7 to 10 days. So I, my level of concern was like, okay, yeah, rested. He'll be back. But when you hear, quote, everything is on the table, and he's not skating today after skating yesterday. It sounds like he did have a setback. And being out for a month. Yeah, it's not. That sounds bad, huh? So, um, you know, if if you're a fantasy owner of Nikolai Ehlers and you've been hoping for him to return, I would definitely, I would definitely be concerned. I think the Jets, you know, you're concerned too. So, uh, that's something we're keeping an eye on. People are asking us, how is he? How is he? It sounds sounds not great. No, that is uh, certainly concerning right now. And you know what? That'll bring us to the why not question of the day. You know, after we served that one up to you, we're talking about Zach Caleros, I mean, what uh, what's more concerning for Winnipeg sports fans right now? Is it Zach Caleros' ankle going into Sunday? Or is it Nikolai Ehlers' lower body injury where, in the words of the coach, everything is on the table right now? Give us your thoughts in the chat. If you're watching the program after the live broadcast, make sure to hit us up in the comments there on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, Not Auto Corp, of course, great sponsor of ours, Waverly and McGilvery, and you can uh, also check them out online at not.ca. Um, all right, well, I'm looking forward to having Brandon on a little bit later on, and we'll get his take on what the recall for Villianola means, his thoughts about what we heard from Rick Bonus on a everything being on the table for Nikolai Ehlers, as well as the team overall going into this uh, homestand beginning tonight with the game against the Anaheim Ducks. Just quickly, here are the lines as we expect them tonight, barring game-time decisions, as Rick Bonus said. Uh, we know that Appleton's out. We know that Ehlers is out. Sam Gagne's next man up. Uh, and I wouldn't at all be surprised if there's a few other guys that get some spot shifts in there. It'll be a challenge for Sam to keep up with those guys for the amount of ice time, but he really has shown that he's a versatile player and has the hands to play with players like that. So it's Connor, Shifley, Gagne. Line two intact with Perfetti and Wheeler with Dubois in the middle. A new look on the third line. Axel Janssen Fialbi is going to stick with uh, Adam Lowry, but it's Mikey Acemont. Moose call-up is going to get a chance on that third line, which means Saku Manalainen will move to the David Gustafson line and Jansen Harkins is out, and as we learned yesterday from Rick Bonus, Donek Toninato is in. Defense pairings right now, as expected, Morrissey Pionk, Dylan Schmidt, Sandberg, and DeMello. Uh, but again, with the recall of Vili Hainala, I think there is a possibility. Dylan DeMello was not a regular at practice all week. So uh, maybe we do see Vili play tonight, and as Remo mentioned, it would be a pretty nice night to get a Finn in the lineup with Tamu and Teppo going up into the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame. All right, before we get to legendary Jets broadcaster, Kurt Kielbach, uh, got to remind you folks that we have teamed up with our friends at Wallace & Wallace. 
Josh Morrissey and the Dream Factory for the new Unsung Hero program at Winnipeg Sports Talk. We want to celebrate some of those folks that are going the extra mile selflessly and quietly in the community to make our city and our province a better place. Um, you know, the person that's spending all those t hours volunteering down at the local community center, the teacher that spends countless hours outside of teaching, coaching, um, people that are doing great charity work right now. We want Winnipeg Sports Talk listeners to tell us about these people and what they're doing to help the community. And what you need to do is just drop us an email at unsunghero at winnipegsportstalk.com. We'll sing their praises by sharing some of the stories through the month. And at the end of the month, we'll randomly select one of the unsung heroes to win an autographed Josh Morrissey Jets jersey. And every month, Wallace and Wallace will make a $500 donation, which is going to be matched by Josh and Margot Morrissey in the name of our Winnipeg Sports Talk listener who submitted the nomination to another group of unsung heroes, the kids at the Dream Factory. So send your nomination to unsunghero at winnipegsportstalk.com. You can do that at any point. We'll have our first winner in a few weeks. And right now, folks, if you're listening to the podcast or you're with us live on YouTube and you would like to support the Dream Factory and this initiative, get to winnipegsportstalk.com slash links. You'll see the link for the Unsung Hero in the Dream Factory. You can find out a little bit more about it. And if you would like to support it, we certainly welcome that. We'll look forward to having Josh on in the future, as well as the folks from the Dream Factory to talk a little bit more about this program. And can't thank Wallace and Wallace enough for teaming up with us uh, on the program. Uh, hey, folks, it's uh, Men's Health Month. And Vita Health is the spot that, uh, you know, you know that you'll be able to go to get all the best natural supplements, vitamins, and more to keep you at maximum health throughout the winter with everything that's going on and going through the schools right now, families, and just our entire community, preparing yourself and putting yourself in the best position to not get sick is so important. And Mavita Health is the spot for the best natural and organic supplements around, not to mention the biggest selection of local products in the city. Pop down and see our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market, family owned in the city for over 70 years at one of seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. And you can also find out more on everything they've got at their new fully shoppable website at myvita.ca. Tomorrow, well, actually, in the next week or so, we'll have full details on the upcoming Marbles Holiday Tournament of Champions. But if you missed the news, Remo was away for a couple of weeks having a baby, we had to miss marbles for the last couple of weeks. Marbles are back, and they're back in a big way. We are teaming up with our friends at Consolidated Supply for a marbles series where you'll have the opportunity to qualify for the championship race, and Consolidated Supply is giving us a pair of bomber season tickets for next year for the lucky final winner of the championship marble race. So stay tuned to Winnipeg Sports Talk. We'll give you the schedule of all the qualifying races and more details on how you can win bomber season tickets, courtesy of our great sponsors at Consolidated Supply. Don't forget your first choice for golf, irrigation, artificial turf, small engine repair and small engine parts, not to mention landscape, hot tubs, 
outdoor kitchens, and more. Consolidated supply. Find out more online at cte.ca on everything they've got going and make a point of popping down when you have the chance. See Joe Spicy and the gang at 1395 Niaqua Road East. All right, Hall of Fame game tonight. We're talking Timu. We're talking Teppo. Who better to do that with than the legendary longtime voice of the Winnipeg Jets, Kurt Keelback, who joins us now on WST. Kurt, it's great to have you back on the program. How are you? I'm uh, doing well. Looking forward to tonight and uh, always appreciate coming with the opportunity to speak with you. Well, it's great. We had such a great time talking about your book, by the way, right here. Two minutes for talking to myself. We'll uh, give a little plug for November 24th, the official book launch over at McNally Robinson. Tell you about that at the end of the uh, the interview. Kurt, so Timu gets all the headlines. Let's start talking about Teppo Newman. What do you remember about Teppo the first time uh, he began a regular as a Winnipeg Jet, both on the ice and um, your interactions with him off the ice? Well, I think he kind of surprised everybody. He kind of came on the scene in a in a quiet sort of way. Teppo didn't say a whole lot. Of course, uh, English wasn't his first language. But uh, the longer he hung around, and he did hang around for a long time, of course, he played almost 1,400 games in the NHL, he began to realize not only was he a quality person, but he was steady as a rock. He was a gift as far as NHL coaches were concerned because you could put him on the ice in any circumstance, be it power play, be it penalty kill. Invariably, he would be on the ice against the team's best player, and you could count on him to, to do a good job. Some of his battles with Peter Forsberg in particular were legendary. It was like they, they took it personally, and they, they went at each other pretty good. So Timu, or, pardon me, Teppo was, was steady. And the other thing I remember about uh, Teppo is he was courageous. How many times over the years was Al McKinnis standing at the blue line, winding up for that cannon of his, and there'd be nobody between he and the net other than the goaltender and Teppo Newman. And Teppo would take the shot on the foot. He'd hobble, he'd wobble, but he'd uh, stay on the edge till the end of the shift. And then it would be reported later that he broke a foot or a toe again and again. So he uh, he stood up to uh, anything that was put in front of him. So I had nothing but admiration, as a lot of coaches did, for Teppo Newman. Well, he was, I think, you know, almost universally regarded as one of the most underrated players of the entire era. Um, but, you know, as a young Jet fan... Um, he always seemed to be that quiet, humble star that the team relied on, but didn't get a lot of the uh, the accolades or the limelight. And I guess part of it is the job that he was doing, but also the sort of person that he was. What do you remember about meeting him the first time and his interactions with the media and his teammates as a young Winnipeg Jet cutting his teeth in the NHL? Well, you basically hit the nail on the head when you talked about he was quiet, and he was particularly quiet in the early days. I mean, as opposed to uh, Tamo Solani, who came on and... Uh, was uh, gregarious, I suppose. But no, Teppo was uh, was a quiet kind of guy, just quiet, efficient, and effective. But he always had a bit of a smile on his face. He always felt he was a, a warm person, and uh, ego was certainly not a problem. He he enjoyed uh, his work, and uh, he did did it he did it diligently. So he was uh, a quality person and the kind of person everybody could admire. And you know, you mentioned that he was underrated. I I think that uh, I heard that comment more than any over the years covering Teppo Newman and where people would say he may have been the most underrated person of his generation. And it was coaches in particular who would say that because he wasn't spectacular. He wasn't going to score a bunch of goals. He wasn't going to rush the puck end to end. He wasn't going to hammer you like a Scott Stevens. He was just effective and uh, very cerebral in the way he played the game. You know, and he broke in as a 20 year old defenseman in the 88, 89 season. Newman and 
obviously grew into this mainstay on the blue line, but um, do you remember his rookie season? I mean, was he automatically a guy that, you know, you put in the lineup and you can pretty much count on? Well, I think it didn't take long for them to realize how effective he was. You know, he was drafted in the second round, so he wasn't overwhelmingly popular coming uh, into the draft. And then uh, as time went on and he began to realize how effective he was, he had to earn his way. And he did. Uh, he didn't start off as a top two defenseman, by example. But uh, over the course of time, he picked it up. And by the end of the season, I believe it may have been that first season. I don't recall exactly. He was one of the guys that they could rely on uh, in any circumstance. And he had continued that way throughout his career. Well, you know, I mean, it's so funny that uh, these two uh, Finns are going to be honored today because as uh, Teppo came in relatively unheralded, very quietly, and began this incredible NHL career, it was the exact opposite for Tamu Solani. First of all, the Winnipeg Jets had to wait some years after drafting him in the first round for him to come over to North America. The other thing that I think a lot of people forget is that he didn't sign his first contract with the Winnipeg Jets. It was the Calgary Flames on an offer sheet. Um, oh, t take us back to that point and the uh, anticipation to finally get Solani here and then everything that happened before he actually became a Winnipeg Jet and played for the club in that incredible rookie season. I remember the first time we ever came across Timo Solani. He was, uh, it was a couple of years before he joined the Jets and uh, he had suffered a broken leg. And there were three or four Finns who had come over together and they were sitting on the bench watching the Jets work out a training camp. And it was interesting because so often uh, players from uh, Europe are, are quiet and shy initially because of other things among the, the language issue. But Timo was wide open right off the bat. He had a smile on his face. He was talking. He was laughing. And he had a funny way of talking with the accent. But he was very comfortable in any situation. And he, uh, he talked about his leg, and he talked about he had to go, I believe, and serve a term in the Finnish military. That was uh, what held him back for a couple of years. But he obviously could have played at that particular time. But in retrospect, it benefited him. I, I mean, he had 76 goals in that first year. It's hard to imagine him doing that at 19, but he did it at, uh, what, 21 or 22. Well, he certainly did, and... Uh... I don't. Do you remember what was the the public reaction to signing the offer sheet with Calgary? And obviously, the Jets handled that very quickly by uh, by matching it and getting him here. It did seem like it was a real long journey to him finally being a Winnipeg Jet. But man, was the wait worth it? I think there was a bit of an issue there for a while because uh, there were certain scouts who had been over to Finland and had the opportunity to witness what uh, the Finnish Flash could do, and there were others who may have preferred to uh, spend that money on, on a North American player. So there was some, uh, not, I wouldn't call it internal squabbles, but there were some uh, differences of opinion within the Jet organization at that particular time. But uh, fortunately for everybody who watched the Jets, the prevailing opinion became that they should they should match that offer and, uh, and have Timo Solani sign up and wear number 13 for the Winnipeg Jets. How, uh, how long did it take in his rookie season, whether it be training camp or into the year, that you realized we were dealing with not just a special player, but a downright phenom. You know, I can't recall the first game or two, but I know it was very, very early when he began to do that uh, bit where he would charge up the right wing in possession of the puck, something that uh, people identified Glenn Anderson of the Oilers as having done before. And then he would, he would cut at the net and uh, he would score goals. And, and it was quite early that he'd, uh, he'd scored a few 
And the first game, I believe, he had one assist, but uh, it went on, uh, and, and he scored early, and uh, then he began to score early and often. It was just to the point where every time he stepped on the ice, it was exciting. You expected a breakaway. You expected a goal, and and obviously he delivered all over and over again because he had the wheels and he had the desire, and uh, it was incredible to watch. Exciting. It was exciting. Long-time Winnipeg Jets play-by-play voice Kurt Kielback with us getting ready for Hall of Fame induction night for Tepo uh, Newman and Timu Solani tonight down at Canada Life Centre. Uh, I mean, we could talk about Solani's incredible career, but... Uh, I mean, there's nobody that watched the National Hockey League, and especially was here in Winnipeg in that 92-93 season that you know, won't remember all the goals. I mean, I'm not sure. Well, I think I can pretty much safely say there's never been a Winnipeg Jet and very few players in NHL history that have taken the league by storm the way Timu did that year with the Winnipeg Jets. No, they, the closest comparison, while well, there's been a few, I guess. I mean, Dale Howarchuk took the league by storm as an 18-year-old by collecting over 100 points in his year. But uh, it was just the flash that uh, the team had and the way he scored the goals and, and taking the passes, a lot of them from Phil Housley and, and charging down the ice. And, but, uh, yeah, it, you never quite know what to expect when a rookie comes into the lineup. I mean, how often have you seen a number one pick overall come in and the world's been expected of him? I think of someone like Alexander Digg, by example, and then they don't deliver. But uh, these kids did, and uh, it was fun to watch. In either case, it was, it was exciting. You know, he uh, very quickly was a, a folk hero here, and I guess that's what happens when you score 76 goals and uh, tear the league up the way he was as a rookie. Um, but we got a chance to really see how confident he was and how outgoing. Um, did that take a little while, or first couple of weeks, did you know we were dealing with a star player and a star personality? He's never been shy. To my <laughs> knowledge, he's never been shy. As I said, the first time I saw him, he was sitting on the bench, and he opened up with everybody with a smile on his face. I had heard that he had chosen to be a kindergarten teacher in life had he not been a hockey player. I don't know if that's an exaggeration or if that's the truth, but that was uh, the kind of person he is. He was just uh, a pleasure to be around, and he was comfortable under any circumstance. I told somebody the other day that, uh, that when they had the Jets carnival in his rookie season, uh, they were lined up around the block to get uh, uh, autographs from Timo Solani. And he would talk individually with every single fan. And, of course, some of them had one or two things to sign. Some of them had a bunch of things to sign. He would accommodate each and every one. And when they wanted to sh- close the carnival down because it got to be 5 o'clock, Timo wouldn't go because he said, there's still people waiting for me here. So, no, he was very open to the public. No, I, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that very well. I mean, it was... Uh... I mean, he was a rock star. I think there's no other way to put it. How was he greeted by the rest of the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, you know what pro hockey's like. I mean, there's a bit of a hierarchy. You've got some veterans. You've got guys that have been around. There's the element of paying your dues as a rookie. Um, and then he comes in with all that confidence, all the bravado, and all of those goals. Um, you were around the team on a daily basis. What do you remember about that and the internal workings, the relationships that obviously grew over that year? Well, it doesn't take very long for a hockey player to win a lot of friends in the dressing room when he starts putting the puck in the net as often as Timo Solani did. 
So if there was an indoctrination period uh, to be accepted by the veterans, it wasn't one that lasted very long. There was a bit of jealousy between uh, Timo Solani and Keith Kachuk in their rookie years, no question about that. Each uh, wanted to be the number one man, and they, they fought it out pretty solidly all year long to, to be number one. But in the end, they had a mutual respect. Well, and the funny thing was they had a lot of success together as well. I mean, what do you remember when – 7, 10, and 13 were out there together. Keith Kachuk and Alec Jamnov and Timu Solani, which, you know, really you could go back decades and to have that, you know, a, a top line like that of all young players. I can't remember if Jamnov was a rookie that year as well, or maybe he had had a, a, a year before under his belt. But actually, no, that was his rookie year as well. I mean, that just simply doesn't happen, Kurt. All three of those players had been in the Olympics. I believe it was 1992. So they all arrived at the same time and it's very seldom that you get three first-line players to arrive at the same time. And, of course, Timo Solani, Keith Kachuk, and Alexei Zhamnov, they were a combination. And uh, it was fun to watch because they had the inexperience, so they made some mistakes. And at times, you know, they weren't always together. People call them the Olympic line. And I think uh, Keith and Timo spent a fair amount of time together. And by, pardon me, Alexi and, and uh, Timo spent a lot of time together. Keith Kachuk was often on a different line, as I recall. But uh, they would put them together once in a while, especially as the season went on and they got more adjusted to the style of play of the National Hockey League. And, and they had uh, all kinds of success. I never thought that Alexi Zhamnov was quite as motivated as his wingers were, but uh, he was uh, an outstanding player anyway. Yeah, no, he, uh, he, he really was. And he was more maybe of the enigma of the three of those players. Um, but, you know, when you've got a player like Solani and Kachuk taking up so much oxygen, it was sort of easy, I think, for Jaminov to go about his business, not really speaking English, but letting his play do the talking on the ice. Uh, we can't talk about Solani without talking about breaking the record. And, uh, I mean, you had the best seat in the house for that. I mean, night in and night out. Um, but that run and that time when he, well, it was two games at home. He scored seven goals in two games. I mean, uh, I was up in the rafters in the south end. You were in the press box. What were your memories about that week, the way that he did it, and the fact that people knew that it was coming, but there wasn't really much time to build it up because it happened before people could really get ready? Well, the most amazing thing about it was that nobody really thought it would happen when it did. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets uh, came back home for a two-game homestand, and then they had to go away for five games. And he was uh, at 47 goals at that particular time. So I think most of us thought that possibly he might get three over the two games, reach that magic 50 mark, and then uh, the 54 would come later. Nobody really could have anticipated that he would score seven goals in the two games and eclipse the record. But the funny part to me was after he scored four goals in that first game against Minnesota – and, of course, uh, everybody was all excited about that. And two days later, when they played, uh, I guess it was the Quebec Nordique the next game when he set the record, I remember walking through the lobby of the uh, Winnipeg Arena and uh, talking to people and saying, what do you expect? Every single person, without exception, told me that they anticipated that Timo Solani was going to score three goals and break Mike Bossy's record. There was no doubt. It was an incredible expectation, and he lived up to it. Yeah, it was uh, I mean, such a magical year for uh, the team, for the city, and certainly began, uh, you know, that Hall of Fame career for Tamu Solani. Uh, Kurt Kielbach is with us. Kurt, I know you've got a, uh, 
Many great stories about uh, those days of the Winnipeg Jets and more for people that missed it. Um, fill people in on uh, the book, Two Minutes for Talking to Myself, that uh, will be a perfect stocking stuffer, a little present for the hockey fan and the families coming up this holiday season. Yeah, it's a collection of uh, pretty close to 200 stories that I gathered over the years uh, broadcasting for the Winnipeg Jets. And yes, uh, some of them about the the Phoenix Coyotes, and a lot about broadcasting itself, uh, some of the stuff that goes on behind behind the scenes and, and some of the people that uh, had the opportunity to work with, uh, like Friar Nicholson and, and Don Whitman and, and uh, Charlie Simmer. So it's uh, it's uh, a collection of things. I think some of the stories are humorous, and some of the stories are things that people didn't know before, that uh, Ted Green, by example, was uh, one of the strong candidates to be an assistant coach with the the Winnipeg Jets at one time, but he was rejected because Tom Watt wanted Mike Keenan and John Ferguson wouldn't have Mike Keenan and all the reasons why that happened and, and different stories about some of the messages that would be delivered uh, in nefarious ways among the coaches so that the general manager wouldn't be made aware. So there are some interesting stories in there and, and I hope people enjoy them. And yes, it, uh, we're having a book launch uh, a week from, well, on, on uh, Thursday, the 24th at McNally Robinson and, Looking forward to seeing a lot of people there. 7 o'clock p.m. down at the McNally Robinson on Grant. Make sure to pop by, pick it up, and get it signed by the author. Uh, before we go, just speaking about Solani and that magical season, one of the other things that had happened was that Dale Howardchuk was, of course, traded, and Phil Housley was the guy on the blue line. How magical was that connection between 6 to 13? And like, I don't know if we have a number, but of those 76 goals, how many do you think were assisted by Phil? You know, I don't know. I wondered that myself, and uh, I would uh, think it had to be in excess of 40 of them. You know, it was uh, so often you'd see that pass come from just inside the blue line, and he could hit Solani in full stride. And, of course, once Timo was going that fast, nobody was going to catch him. He was gone, and uh, it was just another mark. Uh, there would be uh, Solani from Housley. And it was, uh, it was a fairly common. You'd have to go through all the game sheets, I guess, and count them up. Would uh, I, I mean, I think if we talk to the average fan, your most iconic call when people say Kurt Keelback, we always remember essence of the save. But I would suggest that Solani scores is probably a close number two. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was uh, the most exciting goal I ever caught. I, I remember calling the Dave Ellen double overtime goal. That was a pretty exciting moment, too. And uh, so I guess. Uh, those would be, and even though I've never heard that uh, by call of the Ellett goal, but of course I've heard the, the call of the Solani goal because it's uh, it's played so often. But it was such an incredible, incredible moment to reach uh, 54 goals in those seven goals in, in two games the way he did. And it couldn't have happened to a finer person. And that's the thing about uh, both Timo Solani and Teppo Newman. They're the kind of people you can't help but cheer for because they're quality people and I don't know. It just seems like there's something about Finnish hockey players that they, they have that personality and that, uh, that pleasant uh, aura about them. Well, and they certainly fit in well in Winnipeg, a little wintry type city, much like their homeland. And um, obviously uh, I think a lot of it, you know, probably goes back to Timu and Teppo and the impact that they've made here. And obviously some of the other great Scandinavians that came even during the, the WHA days, just on that Dave Ellett goal, said you haven't heard it. I'm not sure anyone's heard your call because the minute that thing went in, the volume level in the arena was something unlike anything I've ever heard. And it didn't stop very long. You probably could have talked for two or three minutes before the din went down that the fans could hear what you were saying. Oh, I know. It was incredible. I can remember uh, 
the whiteout scenario, by example, uh, trying to talk to the person I was working with or doing an interview in the broadcast booth prior, even prior to the game. The whiteouts, it was so loud. You with the headset on like you're wearing right now, you still couldn't hear anything. It was uh, mind-boggling. Uh, well, it's going to be a real great night tonight uh, before the game, and then the puck will drop just before we go, Kurt. Uh, you know, it's sort of full circle. We talked about Rick Bonus. I mean, he's back the head coach. Pretty nice start. What do you thought about the uh, the squad and the great start from the fellas so far this season? Well, it's it's been it's been good. It's been really good, and it's actually kind of what I expected. We talked about it before, but Rick Bonus came into this uh, situation. He couldn't lose. He was set to retire before, so he was going to do it his way. And he's been around long enough, and he's a quality person that the players could identify very easily. And he's got time for everybody. So I'm glad for him that things are going as well. And uh, I can I, I expect that they'll continue most. There's going to be some ups and downs like there always is, but it's going to be a successful season for the Winnipeg Jets. Well, it certainly started off on the right foot, and we'll see if they can keep it going after all the Hall of Fame festivities tonight, honoring Teppo Newman and Tay Mussolini, the two great Finns of Winnipeg Jets history. Kurt Kielbach, longtime Jets play-by-play voice, an absolute pleasure to have you back on the program. All the best with the book launch. Again, folks, it's November 24th. McNally Robinson Grant, 7 p.m. Put it in your phones. Pop by. Pick a few copies up for uh, the holiday season and uh, meet Kurt in person and get him signed. Kurt, let's do this again soon. Have a great night and enjoy this game. Thank you very much. All right, great stuff there with Kurt Kielbach. We'll have a little bit more from uh, on Timu and Teppo from one of their teammates, Mike Eagles, the hammer coming up towards the end of today's program, so make sure to stick around with us. Hey, have to give a big thanks to our friends at Not Autocorp, big supporter of the Bombers. They were all out there, entire staff pretty much at the game at the West Final. Everyone fired up, and I know a few of them will be uh, heading out to Regina, but Not is there for you as we get ready to turn into full-fledged Winnipeg winter for all of your vehicle needs. Now, they is the spot where you need to start. If you're thinking about upgrading your vehicle or getting a new one, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? Also have service, detailing, and more. And if you don't have your winter tires yet, they've got winter tire specials and MPI payment plan. So why not get safe tire winter tires now and pay later? And of course, warranty approved servicing and maintenance repair on all makes. Pop down and see them. Waverly and McGilvery, our friends at Not Autocorp, and you can check out everything they've got going online as well at not.ca. Well, Brandon is coming on right away. He's rocking a Canada jersey. If you showed, if I showed you yesterday uh the uh, Canada soccer hoodie I was wearing, and I've got a few more ready for the trip, heading out on Saturday. I'll be there on Monday. In the next couple of weeks, be talking World Cup with all of you on Winnipeg Sports Talk from the Middle East. Still can't believe it's happening. Uh, but whether you're watching the games at home, out at a pub, get ready for Canada to return to the World Cup. And Royal Sports has hundreds, thousands of pieces of Canada merchandise right now. Jonathan David, Astacchio, Alfonso Davies jerseys, all sorts of Canada hoodies, soccer, scarves, and more. Get ready. Get behind the Reds for the first game next week at the World Cup over at Royal Sports. They do also have a bunch of the other countries in the event. Thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise and tons of great new bomber gear. So if you're heading to Regina, make sure to pop in and get Tukes, 
scarves, everything you need to rep the blue and gold in all sorts of weather over at Royal Sports. And of course, they are the hockey superstore for over 40 years as well in town. Royal is at 750 Pemina Highway. And you can check them out online or on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina. Make sure to give them a follow and uh, check out their story for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And fellas, a uh, lot of parties, a lot of events coming up in the holidays. How's the wardrobe? Uh, if you need a wardrobe boost, only one place to go, and that's F Apparel down at 190 Smith Street. Andrew and his great staff are waiting for you with custom suits beginning at just $400. But so much more than that. Shirts, pants, accessories, everything you need to up your wardrobe game. And for those of you that are in a wedding coming up next summer, great deal right now for the month of November. Get the fellas down there, get booked in, and get measured by the end of November. Everyone in the wedding party will get a free shirt and 10% off their suit order. Savings of up to $130 per person. F Apparel, ready to go for the holidays and 2023. 190 Smith Street downtown. Make an appointment or find out more at F. That's E-P-H-Apparel.com. All right, let's get to it and welcome in Brandon Rewicki on the program. Rue, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Pumped. Big week of sports ahead, so Ooh. let's get right into it. Let's not waste any time here. Well, first off, just uh, stand up a little bit. Let's show off the uh, show off the shirt. That's right. Brandon's ready to go. How pumped are you for the World Cup? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Like I, can't, I still can't believe this is actually a thing that we get to watch Canada in a World Cup. And the fact that they have, like, they'll, they'll be competitive in, in theory, right? Like, this isn't just, you know, get in by the skin of your teeth get blown out four or five nil each match and we're just happy to be there like this this team's this team's going to be a bit of a handful i do got to be a bit honest though i am worried about i am worried about the opener i, I was excited at first i, I kind of talked myself when the draw happened you know belgium's a little older croatia's a little older maybe maybe they could take down some of the fifa giants but you know kevin de bruyne is gonna be a bit of a handful for, for team canada I, I don't know if we got an answer for them but feed me kevin de bruyne <laughs> <laughs> ready i'm ready will i, I see I just, will i, I see I, a win we can open up with a draw a draw oh. would be absolutely enormous and then it sets them up nicely where maybe you just beat morocco in the final game and you might find yourself heading to the round of 16 oh i i'm still i still can't believe this is all happening and um as i said very much looking forward to cranking out content for the next couple of weeks once uh we get there just in time to hopefully see the bombers win the great cup um We'll get your take on the Grey Cup before we go, but let's talk about the the Jets going in. And of course, today a huge night. It's been a great week with Timu and Teppo back here, um, such beloved heroes of uh, our hockey history. Um, but man, I, I can't not start off with a couple of the big news. We'll get to Billy Hanel in a second. How concerning were how, were you? How concerned were you when you heard Rick Bonus talk about Nikolai Ehlers today, saying, "quote Everything is on the table." After not skating, after he skated the day before, this uh, this seems like it's sort of gotten from bad to worse, and they don't have answers right now. And listen, it's been a great start to the season, but if this team is going to achieve uh, anything close to their potential, Nikolai Ehlers has got to be a part of it, no? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even even with the start from Shifley, you can still make the case that this is their best forward, and he's only played a handful of games for them. So it's it's terrifying. This, to me, kind of sounds like the 
the first statement before Nikolai Ehlers has undergone successful surgery, he's out four to seven. You know what I mean? Like it does. It, you wouldn't say something like that if you knew he was going to be coming back on the ice in a couple of days. It, it seems like there's been some sort of a setback, which is just too bad. And it's too bad again here in Winnipeg. It's, it's the old day-to-day all of a sudden turns into six to eight to ten weeks out. Yeah, I, I don't know what the issue is. I mean, none of us know because none of us really know what the, the injury is. I, again, I don't I don't really get the whole secrecy side of things from, from the Jets on this, although it's a, a league-wide thing, not necessarily just a Jets-related thing. But it'd be nice to know a little bit at least about what the injury is and, and what he's trying to deal with. But it's, it's pretty devastating. And it, and it just, you know... It's not even necessarily the one injury itself, but it's what happens to teams throughout the year where another injury and then another one piles on. And this was a thin team up front already. And you have Mason Appleton out of the mix for the next little while also. And you have guys that were playing good on the fourth line being asked to be first line contributors. And this is where things can send a, you know start to get a little bit dicey for the Jets up front where they seem to have a nice mix, but all of a sudden that's being taken away and it, and it seems like it's going to be taken away for quite some time here. So we'll we'll see what Chevy has up his sleeves. Maybe there's somebody on the waiver wire that that pops up sometime soon. I don't know, or or maybe the logjam on defense finally gets solved. But if if this is a multi-week, you know, one and a half to two month issue for for Nikolai Ehlers, aren't you inclined to make a move at that point? Like you can't you can't really just rely on. What you have in house here, there's there's not enough. You, you well, need especially to now with Baron being out, Mason Appleton, who you know was playing up with the uh, with the big boys on the top line, is now at eight to twelve weeks. I mean, we're getting some real attrition of the Jets' forward core right now, and ironically, nothing's been happening on the blue line. Where you know, thank God, I mean, it's always good that guys are healthy and not hurt. But we all know where the strength of the club is depth-wise right now, and it's not up front. It's on the blue line right now. Um, and how Kevin Sheveldayoff handles that uh, will be very interesting, although we've been expecting something to happen for months. Um, this might be uh, – hopefully it isn't. I mean, hopefully Elish is able to come back, but I think I'm with you. If this is a long-term issue for the Winnipeg Jets and they know that he's not in the mix for the next foreseeable future – you know, at what point do you uh, pick up the phone and uh, really start seriously talking about moving one of your defensemen? Which, of course, brings us to Vili Hanela, who's called up tonight. Now, Bones talked a lot of when we played the clips earlier about, you know, what he's been hearing about Vili. I mean, a much better uh, run as of late for the young Finnish defenseman. Obviously, the Finns going into the Jets Hall of Fame tonight. I mean, there is a great narrative, as Remo pointed out, if he was in the game. Um but I guess we'll see whether he plays. I mean, just your thoughts on Hanela so far this season and what he might be able to bring to the club if he does get into the mix and get some playing time during this call-up. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I, I wonder, and, and it's it's tough to say because now with the team so banged up up front, you know, I, I kind of wondered if they might go 11 forward 7D just to get Billy Hanela into games, like not have him sit up there in the press box. But does that plan change at all with the team so banged up and, and you know not a whole lot of reinforcements available for them i don't know that i would love to see them go 11 forward 7d um i i think so often we see teams whether it's forwards or defensemen come into the lineup as a penalty kill specialist and they're brought in for specifically that role and then play a little bit five on five we don't really see a whole lot of power play specialists and and that's i mean quite clearly hanala's bread and butter and this power play has been 
below average at best maybe it hasn't found its stride there's there's no doubt about that and from what we saw in preseason i mean this kid can this kid can run a blue line at the nhl level right now like he could run a power play he could step on the first unit even if the jets wanted to and i think he'd be just fine at the very least he would provide some juice and a boost to the second power play unit so i i would be inclined to to try that experiment out you don't have to play him a ton in the game either um, you know, if it's a, a specialty team's heavy game, then he gets a decent amount of time. You throw him out there for some offensive zone starts, kind of shelter him, limit his minutes, and and you get the best out of the kid. And you can see what he can do at the NHL level. I think that would be that'd be a great sort of you know step into the the shallow end before you throw him into the deep end to see what he's got. Uh, I I don't really have a sense though of exactly what they're going to do. I would imagine Bones goes with a traditional twelve six, but if if I was if I was in his position, I'd be thinking long and hard about going seven D here and and giving him a shot because I, I think you know one of the main issues this team has had so far is surprisingly the power play and there's no doubt he comes into the lineup the power play one or two will immediately become more successful. Yeah, I mean from a defensive perspective, which is certainly the first and foremost concern of Rick Bonus, um, it's hard to really say much about the way the team's played so far. I mean, they come into this game tonight with the least goals allowed in the National Hockey League. I know they played a couple less games than a couple teams, but the bottom line is the results defensively, which was job number one right now, um, has been probably beyond anyone's expectations when they dropped the puck on the season. Yeah, they've been great, right? And you can make the case, too, that Neil Pionk has been below what you might have expected out of him. And so the overall team defense has been has been really good. Like I still think there's maybe a level that the Jets back end specifically can get to here. Uh, but it's it's really been two things. One is that Josh Morrissey has borderline turned into Josh Norrissey, and he's completely elevated his game even to where it was last year, right? I he's, love it. I yeah, love it. Well, we'll get the Norrissey campaign going about 40 games, and it's a, it's a little early for that. Got to copyright that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe an all-star bid though who knows but man he it's it's just it's crazy to think about where he was two three years ago when he was being paired with no offense to them Tucker Pullman Nathan Beaulieu being asked to care basically being asked to be Victor Hedman and there's like two Victor Hedmans on the planet right now and his game just suffered and maybe there was confidence whatever it was but he's taken such a significant leap in terms of his, in my opinion, his skating and his skill level, I, it's it's elite now. And he is he is performing like the top pair defenseman this team desperately needs. But, you know, I, I think we all knew that there was another level for, for Josh Morrissey to get to after a so-so few years, two, three years ago. But the emergence of Dylan and Schmidt as this team's, you know, unofficial shutdown pairing has been one of the more pleasant surprises of the entire season. Like they've been tremendous and they have 1 billion percent benefited the most from the change in structure and the change in philosophy with Rick Bonus coming on board. And, and those two, it's, it, they, they just play off each other so well because Nate Schmidt has the freedom and the confidence to jump up into the play and create offense, which he did, you know, to a T against the Kraken the other night. But then Dylan, even, you know, whether he wants to jump in or whether he benefits from knowing where everybody is around him inside the defensive zone, you're seeing him be that steady presence that we were all hoping for when Chevy acquired him a few seasons ago. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been nothing but gravy for the jets on the back end this year. And I think, you know, while individually they deserve a ton of credit, you know, ultimately we know who the, uh, the maestro is behind the change. And that's been bones who, you know, you want to talk about award campaigns and things like that. 
the uh the Jack Adams campaign for rig bonus is off to a pretty good start after 15 or so games. Well, you know what? I remember we have a conversation uh, the two of us and a few others that, Hey, if you, if you feel that the Winnipeg jets have it and can make the playoffs, get on a future, sprinkle. get on a sprinkle exactly on Rick bonus, because um, that is really what the changes have been so far. And you add in Kyle Connor being ice cold as far as lighting the lamp and no Nikolai Ehlers minus two games right now. And I think it really even almost more highlights what the collective has been able to do buying into this system and now getting the results. And of course, we've got the Ducks in town tonight. The Jets are on one end of the spectrum, 33 goals. I think I looked earlier, the Ducks have allowed 70. They have not won a game in regulation so far this season, Brandon. Looks like it's going to be a long season for the Ducks. That being said... And as good as the Jets have been and were in that last homestand getting better throughout, you don't want to, you know, get too caught up in the Hall of Fame issues and, you know, the days off. Need to come out and play that full 60 minutes and uh, get the win that you probably should get on paper. But as we know, nothing is guaranteed. And there's been a lot of good teams that have come out a little flat against some of the lesser competition in the league and fallen uh, victim to it. Yeah, as as my buddy Stewart says, just don't suck tonight. Like that's it. Just don't suck and you should take care of business. It's that simple. I mean, it, it's funny too with Anaheim where you know, it, it used to be a pretty heated debate a few years ago, who's going to start a net for Team America, Helly or Gibson? And it was like, uh, flip a coin, who's it going to And it's just a complete 180 since I mean, Hellebuck's, you know, maintained his level of play and it's just been a nightmare half decade at this point. For Gibson, he's not getting much help out there in Anaheim either. And I mean, I, I guess I was going to say, at what point does Dallas Eakins have to go? But if you're Anaheim, I mean, why let him go at this point? Just go right to the bottom and let's take a chance at, at Bedard and, and Fantilli, et cetera, at the, uh, the, at the top of the upcoming draft here. But yeah, I mean, thankfully so far this year, the Jets have been pretty adept at, at taking care of business against the, the lesser thans. It's something they struggled so mightily with for a long, long time. And it's honestly an underrated part of being a playoff team, I think, is just beating the bad teams. Absolutely. There was a, I think it might have been Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, the legendary Man U manager, who essentially said, you know, chasing titles and everything like that, where if we beat the teams that are, you know, not even involved in the title, if, if we can take care of business, sweep the teams in the bottom two-thirds of the table, we don't even have to play all that good against the teams right around us because we've built up such a cushion from that. And it's the same sort of thing, I think, in, in, in all sports, but specifically the NHL, where you know, there's a lot of good teams. And it's tough to play 700 hockey against those clubs. But if you can play 8, 850 against the teams that stink and take those points and bank those all night long, you're going to put yourself in a pretty damn good spot. Jets hadn't done that for, for years and years, but thankfully, I mean, the Arizona game, little iffy, but they, they found a way to pull through there. Montreal, I think they played pretty good. So, so far this year, it's been all good on that front. I, I, I don't anticipate um, the Jets taking anybody too lightly this year. I think Bones has got the club, you know, focused and ready to go. Yeah, and, and you know what? With the adversity they're dealing with, with Ehlers and uh, Kyle Connor still. By the way, plus 126, Kyle Connor tonight. This it has happened? to happen, right? This, ha <laughs> this has to happen. I mean, this is the, the, the Ducks should be the slump buster for Kyle Connor. It should. I, I thought I thought that last. I, I, thought, I thought it was a bunch of games. That was the slump buster. <laughs> I, I, it's just wild. It's wild. We're still talking about this. Hey, like 
it's not for a lack of trying either. I mean, the chances are there, the shots are there. It's just it's it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen at some point. You know, it's it's. I don't anticipate him going on an Austin Matthews like run like you know he did last year. But you know, Matthews started last year with like a goal in ten games and see what happened there. So maybe, maybe Connor, maybe tonight's the night. Timu's the good luck charm. Let's hope that let's hope that gets it done. Well, Timu always had them coming in bunches. So. uh Ooh, plus 590 on over one and a half. Is that too aggressive right now? Well, <laughs> considering the way it's been so far. Um, hey, what do you think about Wheeler on the uh, on the weekend, specifically in the uh, in the Kraken game? Very interesting to see how engaged, and I mean, listen, to be honest, borderline unhinged on that play where he got in and mixed it up in a scrum that was already pretty much cooling down and took the four-minute penalty. But honest to God, the Blake Wheeler in the second half of that game, really from the second he came out of the box, Brandon, and almost scored that vintage Wheeler highlight reel goal to the tying goal late in the game. Um, this is its such a good sign for a guy that I think there were a lot of question marks about after the, de- the hand that he was dealt at the beginning of the year, the way he is seemingly fitting in comfortably being a part of the team. And I honestly said that this that would be the greatest sign of leadership to be able to accept what was handed to him with some humility and still being there for the team. And uh, tell you what, I mean, uh, there's been some ups and down nights for that line overall, but for a guy that, you know, a lot of people had written off going into this season, especially without Nikolai Ehlers, um, Blake Wheeler is certainly showing his worth to the Winnipeg Jets in a lot of ways right now. Yeah. You know, there was a, a lot of people kind of just assumed that Wheeler would take it in stride, the demotion, and he would, you know, basically be the good soldier and everything would, you know, work itself out. There was a very real chance that that move completely backfired. You have a, you know, a cancerous former captain in your room with a long, big contract and and, and your season kind of goes off the rails completely. So it was, yeah, like there, I, I get why the Jets did it at the time, but there was a lot of risk. It's, it's easy to look back now and say it paid off a lot of risk in encased in, in that move there. But, you know, give... If the former captain credit, he's he's played about as good as you could have hoped for from him so far this year. And I think that game against Seattle specifically, one word, it was inspiring, right? Like he he turned back the clock for at least half a game, maybe not the whole game, but at least the second half of the game. Wheeler played possessed. And I don't I don't mind unhinged a little bit. Like, you know, Dubois unhinged a little bit of worry there. But a guy like Wheeler, maybe like having them unhinged for, for a little bit, I, I don't mind the edge that that provides. It was great to see it. I think the team, I think the team really played off that a lot. And they kind of, you know, in a, in a tough game against a pesky opponent, back to back, travel, all that, like where there were a lot of excuses out there. I, I think the captain or former captain kind of took it upon himself there to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna drag these guys out of it a little bit. And then you get the storybook basic ending there with the the tying goal with a couple seconds left, and they steal two points out of Seattle. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you couldn't have watched that game and not felt a little bit inspired and maybe might want to run through a wall with how well Wheeler played in that one. Well, and, and you know what? I mean, while we're talking about Wheeler, you mentioned Dubois. This is one of the more fascinating lines in the National Hockey League right now. Wheeler in the situation that he is in towards the end of his career with a couple years left with everything, all the noise around him over the offseason. Dubois maybe the only guy that had as much noise around his offseason at center. And speaking of unhinged, it seems like every single guy that plays against him gets unhinged very quickly with what he's doing. And then Cole Perfetti, who's had some really nice moments, is still kind of getting used to, I think, the grind of the National Hockey League. And in particular, a game like Calgary, 
where you knew that they were going to get it. That was a bit of a tougher night. But, I mean, it hasn't been smooth the entire time for that group, but they've all had their moments, led by Dubois, who is getting right up there with the most hated players in the league, I'd imagine, by players on the other team. But it's getting power play opportunities, and it was a huge difference maker in the game against the Kraken. Yeah, I don't think uh, a Carson Susie Christmas card is uh, in the mail for Pierre-Luc Dubois anytime soon. But yeah, what's in the it, mail is 2500 bucks to yeah. NHL player safety. Yeah, yeah, which will definitely prevent that from ever happening. Again. I, ne- never again. Yeah. Never again. You, you can find me 2500 and I will make them, and I'd be like, oh, I'd probably still punch someone in the head. But, you know, I, I, I love that from Dubois, and it's it's always that fine line with him where, like, you, you want the feistiness, but it's also, you know, don't, end up with a hundred pims on the seat. So it's almost like you have to live with some of that, but it, it worked out against Seattle. He probably should have got called. I mean, they both should have got called for a penalty five seconds before that, that punch even happened. Cause they're just whacking and, and cross checking mm. each other as, as the play is going on around them. But it is interesting that, you know, a, a kid like Cole Perfetti is probably seeing those two on the same line with him and just being like, Hey, thanks that I can kind of fly under the radar here because you can take a bunch of the headlines and, Nobody's really too worried about the the twenty year old who's who's trying to find his way because you've got two other guys stealing the headlines there. Uh, they they've been fine together, you know. I think they've been fine. I I, I wouldn't say anything more than that. It, it is intriguing that if they all start clicking at the same time, what what that line could ultimately be, you know. And that that was the problem last year a bunch, right? Was Shifley would be going, Dubois would be cool, then Dubois would be going, vice versa happens, right? So the Jets still haven't. Through a season and a bit now, I've had both of their number two centermen playing at their peak at the same time right now. Still hopeful. You know, I was wondering if if Ehlers came back, if we would have seen a bit of a, a line juggle inside that top six. Probably not going to be happening anytime soon there. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, it, it takes a while for Wheeler to kind of get into the flow of things during the regular season. Dubois has been a bit of a slow starter. Same thing for Perfetti here. Maybe you give this... I don't know, another week or two, three, four, five games, see how it goes from there. And, and hopefully they start to gel because, you know, Mark Shifley's bringing it night in, night out right now. They get a little more secondary scoring from that second unit. Then things start to get pretty juicy here in Winnipeg. And you know what? Just on the lineup for tonight, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing Mikey Isimont get an opportunity to play with Lowry and Johnson Shelby. I mean, we've talked about him before. I mean, he really is, he's a unique player, a lot of energy, not a big guy, but he obviously impressed in the Seattle game because not only is he in the lineup, but he's playing with Adam Lowry. And you know that if you're playing with Lowry, you're getting big matchups and significant minutes. I, I, I've always loved this game. I, I think, you know, Dubois is maybe more of an agitator. I think this team has needed to pass for a long time. And I think Asimon is is certainly the guy to fill that void. I, I've always loved his game. He's got decent skill as evident by his, his numbers in the AHL. Just a, he's just a good player. Like he's just I, I I've always been a huge fan. I, I hope he does really really well tonight. And that that line as a whole, you, know, you want to talk about agitation and things like that. Like they're they're going to be a handful because Johnson Fialbi's just he doesn't know where he's going, but he's going somewhere 110 miles an hour. Which I, I just I love watching him play. He's a, a hellhound on the forecheck, and then Asimon's going to provide that to a similar extent as well. Then you got big blouse right down the middle, plowing guys into the second row there. I, I, this this is going to be a really interesting matchup, especially because you would imagine they probably get the lion's share of minutes against the Trevor Zegras line. So how they perform will be, you know, definitely an impact on how the game ultimately unfolds here. But 
Yeah, I got a I got a lot of time for for Mikey Asimon. I've I've been kind of the the low key president of the Asimon fan club. So hopefully he pops one tonight, and we can talk about Mikey Asimon playing the next handful of games up here in Winnipeg and, and not down there with the Moose. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, he's got a, a glorious opportunity. I mean, when you add Appleton to uh, the uh, the IR award, and um, you know, we know that Morgan Barron's been out for a while. I mean. The, uh, the spot's there for the taking. And a guy like Billy Hanela can only be envious of the opportunities that have sort of opened up at the top of the lineup. And we'll see what happens with him. Hey, just quickly, before we move on, I want to ask you about the Bombers. Um, what do you make? You spend a lot of time watching Philly and, of course, what's up in the East. Uh, what should we expect from the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have what, only won twice in their last 10 games coming in on Saturday? And then, of course, the Canes on the uh, other end of the weekend. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Pittsburgh yeah, losing? Yeah, Isn't I, it great? I, I knew you'd love me asking you about the Penguins. How much, how much time I feel do like I got you. here? Do I got 15 minutes on this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got you got to pay the bill sometime. And a lot of people have been predicting this downfall for a number of years, and they've been horrendously wrong, which includes myself year after year. But it, it does feel like this is kind of the end of an era, doesn't it? Now, having said that, I hope they don't lose too much because. God help us all if they get another generational superstar in the draft. Oh, I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> that would be the that would be the end of me in the NHL. By the way, I I I'd, I'd fully move over to the Premier League and I just adopt soccer as my go to sport. But yeah, it's it's just it's what happens with old teams. Like they they just got old, right? They're they're like they're not bad, but you know Crosby and Malkin aren't the Crosby and Malkin from even three four years ago. Yeah, this, neither is Jeff team, Carter. Yeah, exactly. Right. Carter, Latay, like it just kind of goes up and down the lineup where they're, they're just not as effective as they've been in the past. And their goaltending isn't great. I mean, that's that to me is how you define kind of an average, maybe below average team. And and the East is kind of a bloodbath right now. Like it's it's not an easy conference to be in playing subpar hockey and expecting to be well above 500. And Carolina is, you know, kind of major evidence of that where. A lot of people's, I don't even know if trendy Stanley Cup pick, just flat out a lot of people's Stanley Cup pick to come out of the East this year. They're they're playing like that right now. And you know, Marty Nikash has taken his game to another level after a down year for them. I mean, the Hurricanes are the Hurricanes are kind of what you want your team to play like. Like they're just so solid in, at basically every facet of the game. And I mean, yeah, they're gonna be I, I'd be shocked if they're not one of the final four teams standing by the end of the year. That, that to me is, I always like to use Carolina as a litmus test for, for any team. And there's a lot of positivity surrounding the Jets right now, and, and a, a lot of it well-deserved. But we might get a much truer sense of how, where this Jets team might stack up with. Are they going to be the elite of the elite, you know, as they sit atop the division right now? Are they going to be worthy of that spot? Or are they going to maybe be that level below that, where it's, you know, a playoff team, but still a few major moves or two needed to be made to get to the level of the Carolinas, yeah. et cetera. Right? I, lo- I love that. I love that comparison. And we'd use that term litmus test, but I think you're very right. I mean, we remember what they did when they came into the Winnipeg Jets. They essentially humiliated them. I yeah. mean, they toyed with them for the full 60 minutes. That was one of the most dreadful games I remember. And wasn't too long after that Paul Maurice packed his bags. So Monday night will be a big test. Hey, just 30 seconds on the way out. How are you feeling about the Bombers on Sunday? I'm feeling super good, which actually scares me. <laughs> I was, I was, because I was nervous about the previous two against Hamilton. Like I, I didn't feel co- super. I felt okay going into those, but it was like, man, the Ty Cats are a juggernaut. Like I don't, 
And so I'm just, I'm a little nervous that I don't feel nervous, if that makes any sense. I'm intrigued to see what Kleros is like coming out of halftime. I think he'll be fine in the first, but like after the hits and everything starts to take its toll, how does the Bombers offense look like there? But it is nice that, you know, Andrew Harris is on the, you know, one sidelines, but Bombers got their own mini Andrew Harris and, and Brady Oliveira. Don't, don't be shocked if he, uh, makes his statement on the game and maybe takes home a little bit of hardware afterwards. Hey, bring it on, uh, Brandon. Have a great weekend. Enjoy these games, the Hall of Fame game tonight, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to connect with you uh, next week from the World Cup, and uh, we can talk a little Canada as well. Yeah, let's have a cold one in Doha. Actually, wait, let's not do that, but let's talk <laughs> when, when you head out there, okay? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> There's Brandon Rowecki. Check out Skates and Plates, all about the Winnipeg Jets and your favorite podcast feed. And of course, give Brandon a uh, follow on Twitter. All right, we are going to get to the Great Cop a little bit more in tonight's Hall of Fame game, though. Former Jet Mike Eagles coming up later on in the program. Marshall Ferguson, though, teed up and on deck for us. Before we do that, though, when we're talking bombers and talking Great Cup, we do it for our friends at Princess Auto. Proud sponsors of the Blue and Gold, the people that brought you that amazing pregame atmosphere all year long at the Princess Auto tailgate zone. Princess, of course, Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. They've got two local locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Well, I know people are talking about beers and uh, rye and everything that goes about the, the big game. But don't forget to hydrate everybody. And when we're talking water, water products, water services in Winnipeg, it's the Culligan team that have been our go-to folks for 65 years in business, family-owned right here in Winnipeg. They've got water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Pop down and see them, 1200 Sargent Avenue. 6945180 and you can find out everything that they can do for you your home your business online as well at drinkculligan.com well i did mention whiskey because of course the blue bombers and canada's favorite canadian whiskey canadian club i know is going to be on tap for many of you coming up this weekend and of course into the holiday season Saw a ton of folks enjoying the CC and ginger in the can at the final home game this season, last Sunday at the West Final. And, of course, you can pick up Canadian Club and Ginger Ale at your favorite local beer store, ready to go and ready to drink. And with the Grey Cup here and the holidays just around the corner, make sure you pop in and stock up on Canadian Club for the holidays at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And, hey, Thursday night football tonight and Winnipeg Jets hockey means it's a great night to be at Boston Pizza. You can chow down on pizza flights, get ice cold bud for only five bucks, and enter to win the second NFL grand prize, a trip for two to Vegas New Year's weekend to see the Raiders-Niners game and the Golden Knights and Blues on New Year's Eve, airfare, hotel included. All you got to do is pop by your local Boston Pizza during NFL football and enter to win. And while you're there, check out the craveable jalapeno popper dip, spicy buffalo mac and cheese, and the new creepy carbonara pizza. Watch the NFL and win at your local Boston Pizza location. You can always order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, a little bit more in the Hall of Fame game, but first let's get to the Grey Cup. And always great to catch up with 
as Derek Taylor said, the Dan Orlovsky of the CFL, TSN's Marshall Ferguson. Marsh, what's up? What's the vibe in Regina like right now? Just, uh, just you know, settling in. I've been here since Tuesday, so I feel like I've acclimated uh, to the weather. I watched practice outdoor yesterday for both Toronto and Winnipeg. I feel like I might have acclimated to the conditions better than the Argonauts because it seems like they weren't really interested in the cold, despite what you might hear. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was nice to get in nice and early, get myself set for what the week's events are going to be, and then kind of uh, figure out what we want to try and do for content to make everybody more and more interested in this game. Well, I mean, there's nothing like the Grey Cup, and I know you and the gang are going to be all over it, and uh, Bomber fans can't get enough of it for obvious reasons. Um, Just before we get to the game, uh, what did you think of uh, the Bombers' win over BC and the way they got it done and that atmosphere here in Winnipeg on Sunday afternoon? My God. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And it's the second straight week where I've been able to say doing a, a post-game Twitter space on the CFL's Twitter handle that um, it's it's pretty special when you're at a game that has 20,000 people and you leave that charged-up environment in the East to sprint to a television and start watching the Western playoffs and you watch an environment that has 30,000 people, right? And like that's, that's pretty incredible to do in back-to-back weeks and to see that come to life. So uh, I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks of playoff coverage just because I think you can see from coast to coast, how excited people are about high quality football. Cause there's nothing like playoff football. Like there's, you know, we get excited about the regular season and storylines build, but really the regular season in the CFL is about earning your right to host a playoff game. So you can have that environment that BC had in the Western semi that Winnipeg had last week. And then to do what they did, I think really with the running game is what jumps out to me. Like Brady Oliveira had 48.6%. Uh, of the targeted touches for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in that game, being anywhere over 32% in my experience is is crazy. Like most running backs, when you combine their pass and their rush targets, don't cross that 32% threshold. Like that's 32% is like Andrew Harris for a full season type stuff when he's at the height of his powers. For Brady to have 48%, it was like everything was going through him. And I started going through the box score and seeing – Man, Ellingson only had like three targets, and man, Sean only had four. Was Bailey really involved? No, Bailey wasn't that involved. I'm like, where are all the targets going? And I go, oh, look, Brady had 25 of them. Okay, now I know where all of the targets were going. So if that continues in the Grey Cup with that offensive line, I think Winnipeg's going to be in control of the football game on Sunday. Well, that, I mean, really is what playoff football is all about, especially in the middle of November on the Prairies playing for the Grey Cup. And in a lot of ways, it seems like this Winnipeg Blue Bomber team has been built for November, and it starts with that offensive line. And you mentioned Brady Oliveira, who had just an incredible game, and obviously the running back matchup in this game could not be more juicy for obvious reasons. But I think back to 2019 when the Bombers were underdogs against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, they won that Grey Cup because they bullied the Tiger Cats for 60 minutes on the line of scrimmage. And it certainly seems like that's the recipe for Mike O'Shea's squad going into this game against the Argos on Sunday. Yeah, there was a really great moment that like, I think anybody who follows me on social media knows that I, I tend to pick up on the little things and often... Uh, the little interactions between players or even like little looks that guys give each other. You can really read into the kind of the human psychology of football when you look at the game that way. And I think if we look at the base level X's and O's, it's like, yeah, Winnipeg wants to be able to run the football, but you know, what confirms that to me, Matthew Betts of the BC lions. I think it was in the third quarter, maybe the early fourth takes a little bit of a, a run at a, a Winnipeg ball carrier. I forget if it was Oliveira, or maybe a receiver that ran over the middle and Betts number 90 for, for BC turns runs and takes a shot. And the Winnipeg offensive line comes in. They don't like him. They peel him off the pile. 
we had our camera that was hanging over the top uh, of that huddle. And I heard the Winnipeg offensive line say uh, <laughs> at one point, hey, let's go get 90. Like, And when I heard them say that as the camera was hanging over the huddle, I watched the next play and sure enough, they went after 90. Like they got real physical with Matthew Betts immediately. So that tells me everything I need to know about what they want to do moving forward into this game is that they are absolutely going to try and push people around just like they did to Hamilton, as you say, on the line of scrimmage back in 2019. Uh, we, of course, here in uh, in the peg are focusing on the blue and gold and the defending champs. But um, what did you see from the Argos in the East final? And uh, what are they bringing to the table? The biggest thing for me, I think, is that McLeod Bethel Thompson has to hit on the deep ball. Uh, and that's that's been a missing piece of their offense throughout the year. I was hammering it going into the Eastern Final where, you know, he had 103 passing attempts of 20 yards or more in the air going into that Eastern Final. And he had only completed 32% of them. And that was the least percentage in the entire Canadian Football League. So they had the most deep passing attempts because Ryan Dinwiddie really wants to hit that. But they were completing it at the lowest percentage in the CFL. That's not going to get it done. Like it's, he might have the most completions, but if your percentage isn't high, then you're not being an efficient downfield thrower. In that game, he made a throw down the field to Curly Gittins Jr. Uh, last play of the third quarter, 15 seconds left, second and seven. He knows where he's going with the football the whole time. He gets the coverage that he wants, and he throws a strike, and it's a big long touchdown, and that opens up the game. Well, how much did Toronto win the Eastern Final by? A touchdown, like. That's literally the reason why they won that football game is he made that throw. Sometimes it comes down to that. Like, can you make the throw in the moment that will separate you and get you a victory? I was really impressed by the fact that, yeah, he missed on a couple, but he made the throw that he needed to in the biggest moment of the game to separate himself from the Alouettes and Trevor Harris. Uh, the other thing that jumped out to me was in terms of running back usage, everyone's talking about A.J. Olet and Andrew Harris splitting reps. In the Eastern final, it was 33 snaps on the field for A.J. Olet, 23 for Andrew Harris. I think they're ramping up Andrew Harris to get him probably 30-plus in this football game, if I had to guess. Montreal was using that two-headed, three-headed monster with Fletcher Stanback uh, and Jezrin Antwi. And I think Toronto took a little bit of that because they saw how difficult that was to prepare for that. But they only had two snaps in the Eastern final where they had Olet and Harris on the field at the same time. Here's the thing. Those two offensive snaps, one of them was a very long screen pass that went to A.J. Olet because they faked an inside run to Andrew Harris and got Olet on the edge. So when they have them on the field together, they're playing off the fact that they're both on the field together at the same time. That's something that I saw that I liked. I think they'll expand that package a little bit going into this game. And if they do and they have success playing off of that, I think you'll, you'll see both of these guys on the field a lot. The only problem with that is it means you're taking one of either Markeith Ambles, DeVaris Daniels, uh, Tommy Neal. Like you're, you're taking a talented receiver off the field to make room. But if you're moving the football in snowy conditions because you're playing with uh, A.J. Olet, Andrew Harris, and fullback Declan Cross all on the field at the same time, that might be the answer. Like I don't know if that is the true answer to Winnipeg's defense, but they were able to get 22 carries and 111 yards out of Andrew Harris back in week four. I wonder if they go back to that. So much of uh, the game is determined on the line of scrimmage, and we know what the Bombers are bringing to the table. I mean, how do you evaluate the uh, the battle between the offensive and defensive lines on both sides of the football? Yeah, I talked to Dijon Allen uh, yesterday and Philip Blake, who are the left tackle and right tackle of the Argos, just about going up against Willie Jefferson. And their biggest takeaway was 
that Willie, Willie's a dancer. Like Willie is essentially a tight end playing defensive end and he gets knockdowns and he gets really long. But how Willie gets to the quarterback, even if you look back to 2019 and 2021 and those great cups against the Tiger Cats, the way that Willie influences the game is if he can get a little bit of space off the line of scrimmage and then he can start to dance. And so Toronto was basically saying, back in week four when they played against him, they jumped him. They kind of didn't let him get off the line of scrimmage because if you think about Willie Jefferson's great pass rushes, it's flying off the football, making one big dramatic move where he looks like a monster from Space Jam where he just steps over everybody and then all of a sudden he's hitting the quarterback. So if they can prevent that, I think they will. The problem is if Willie can find a way to adjust in game where, you know, they're short setting him where they jump him at the line of scrimmage, if he gives you a quick little, you know, swim move with his arms and you duck your head, it's the same result. So he creates advantages for himself by just giving matchup problems. Jackson Jeffcoat being on the other side, that's going to be a big one, of course, as well. And then on the other side, I think for Toronto, their defensive ends have not created as many sacks as they would like throughout the season. Um, I expect they'll try and bring a little bit of that secondary pressure, whether it's from linebackers or from the actual back end. Uh, but I do think that Winnipeg has the best offensive line in the Grey Cup. They'll control the line of scrimmage with the running game. If they can protect Kolaros and he can find Dalton Show running open through coverage, they're in very, very good shape. And I think we'll find that out pretty early in the first quarter of how this game is going to feel. Well, um, hey, you know, you're a former quarterback, so I mean, you're a perfect guy to talk to about this. I mean, I know everyone expects Zach to play. He was not at practice yesterday. We've been breaking down the film of how he looked getting off the plane, like anything, unlike anything I've seen before. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you this. I mean, you know, I mean, an ankle sprain, I mean, he's going to play, but if he is limited in his ability to create time and space moving out of the pocket, which is really a signature of Zach Caleros, what does that do to the bomber offensive game plan and the challenge? And how big of a challenge is that for Buck Pierce when setting it up, uh, what he plans to do against the double blue? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we just saw the way that that looked with Nathan Rourke not being able to move uh, at full capacity, right? Is it limited that Lions attack a little bit and not necessarily in scheming up moving the pocket, but in being able to have that secondary playmaking ability that really separates the top quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League. So I don't disagree with you. I think it's a bit of a challenge. I'm interested to see whether or not they package in Dakota Prukop or Drew Brown in the first quarter with maybe a couple of snaps here and there to move the pocket. If they can leverage those guys' athleticism, if Zach is not 100%, then I think that they will probably do that if I had to guess. Just to, it, imagining myself putting together a game plan. It's like, if we want to get this aspect of our offense in, but we can't do it with Zach, well, why don't we throw a couple snaps here or there, give Zach a little break? Uh, I, I do think the biggest tell on whether or not Zach is 100%, and I do fully expect him to play. I mean, hell, that guy's gone through getting ditched by multiple teams in the CFL, uh, a torn ACL that ended what was going to be an MOP season in 2015, uh, you know, a concussion in Saskatchewan. I mean, d damaged goods was the label on him, and then he revamped his career in Winnipeg. So all of those things have been huge amounts of adversity. It's a rolled ankle. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the same organization, is it not, that saw Chris Strebler play on a broken foot for three straight weeks a couple of years ago? That's the uh, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a team that's going to allow him to do whatever he needs to do to get out there and play at a high level. But I think the tell in whether or not he is at full shape will be the first time that there's a rush on and there's an open escape route for him to get out of the pocket because the Bombers with scramble rules on are the most dangerous team in the CFL. Much the same way the Calgary was when Bo Levi Mitchell was you know, 2016, 17, 18 for the Stamps. If they break the pocket, they get out, they can absolutely kill you. It's not a 10-yard gain, a 12-yard gain. It's a 43-yard touchdown pass to break the game open. If Zach has that open route to escape the pocket 
and he either can't or doesn't take it, that should tell everybody where he's at physically. Marshall Ferguson, TSN, CFL.ca, getting us ready for Great Cup 109 between the Bombers and Argos in Regina on Sunday afternoon. Marsh, uh, you mentioned the uh, the Argos maybe not being too into the cold. When we talk about intangibles, I, I don't know what you can say about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They're the most together team I've ever seen, probably in any sport. They're the most well-prepared. They're experienced. I mean, it seems like they tick off every single box. Um, how much of a challenge is it for Toronto to come together? I mean, this is a team that was going at each other number number of times on the sidelines this year. Um, what do the Argos have to do to get into that zone to be able to go up against a championship team like the Bombers and knock them off over 60 minutes? I mean, it's going to take uh, a lot of the intangibles that you speak of. And specifically, I think it's going to take winning the little battles, like whether it's a you know special teams limiting a big return or avoiding the shanked punt like John Haggerty had in, in the first half against Montreal last week. Like there's, you really don't have the wiggle room to see, oh, oh, busted coverage. Oh, that's okay. We'll make up for it. Oh, look, they got a 50-yard return and we had a 10-yard return. That's fine. We'll, we'll figure that out later. You have to do the little things right if you are Toronto in this game. And what I'm really interested in is throughout the year, Toronto was last in the CFL in rushing touchdowns, average gain per rush, uh, number of rushing attempts. They didn't give a damn about rushing the football. We made a big deal down the stretch about, hey, A.J. Ouellette, he's fun. Andrew Harris, when he was healthy, they ran the rock a little bit, but they didn't even get Andrew Harris a touchdown in the first half of the year when he was healthy before the torn peck. So I think that Toronto has to throw the football to stay in this game and to find success. And that's going to put a lot of the onus on two people, in my opinion. One is obviously McLeod Bethel-Thompson. The other is the most outstanding Canadian nominee from the East Division, Curly Gittins Jr. Because this offense is based on alignment and formation. They're going to have Markeith Ambles going to the flats. DeVaris Daniels is going to run a go route here and there, maybe a quick screen once in a while. They're going to get the ball out of the backfield in the screen game to either of those running backs a couple of times. Curly Gittins Jr. is the only guy in this Toronto receiving core who does everything. And if they have to throw themselves into the game, if Winnipeg's controlling the score or the time of possession with their ground attack, I think you're going to see Curly somewhere between 10 and 15 targets in this game. If he can make the most of them and be on the same page with McLeod, then Toronto can stay in this football game. But it's always dangerous when you're playing a team like Winnipeg. If you end up having your completion percentage to the receiver that you need to have a big day be somewhere around 50, 60%, you're in tough. If it's up around 70, 80%, you can absolutely make plays to win the football game. So, you know, trying to do the equation in my mind of what this looks like, a path to victory for the Argonauts, if it's possible, it's probably McLeod throwing them into it, and it's Curly on the receiving end for a whole bunch. Um, I mean, we know what Mike O'Shea has done. I mean, we could talk for hours about the the change that he's brought here to Winnipeg and what he's established. Um, what's up? What's going on in Ryan Dinwiddie's mind right now? I mean, his priority for his team, uh, not so much the game plan, but getting his team ready to match a challenge unlike we've seen in the CFL in a long time. Yeah, I think Ryan Dinwiddie, uh, everything you need to know about him is to study his evolution from 2021 to 2022. Because in 21, he was, I think, trying to prove to everybody that he belonged. I think whether you look at the use of challenges, the use of timeouts, the offensive play calling, I don't want to say it was immature because I think that's, that's aggressive. That's probably the wrong term, but it was very much, I need everybody around the CFL to respect me and I'm going to go get that respect. This year, I think it, it's not necessarily hands off, 
but you can see even in the moment where McLeod Bethel Thompson is screaming at him, you have to challenge us. That was a catch. Like you have to support our guys. You can just see that he's kind of shrugging and being like, Hey man, I'm not going to do it this play. Don't worry. I got your back. We'll go get it on a different play. And he just seems more calm on the sidelines, despite the fact that it is a, that Argo sideline has been fiery. I would say three or four different times this season. Dinwiddie seems like he has a better appreciation for the big picture. Um, and I, I don't think he'll sleep much on Saturday night. Uh, and I think he's hoping that he doesn't sleep much on Sunday night for different reasons. But I, I really do think that he is a more evolved coach this season, has a better understanding of the coaching staff he's working with, what their tendencies are, and how he wants to operate the game. Because I constantly think about head coaching and what the actual responsibility is of a head coach. It's really not to control the game and to master every call and to be a micromanager. It's about using your challenges correctly, knowing when to use your timeouts, being responsible with substitution packages so you don't get caught on offense, and then dialing up a game plan that you think gives you the best chance to have success. All you can do is put your players in a position to have success. If he does those three or four things, they'll have an opportunity. Here's the problem. We know that Mike O'Shea is going to give his players the best chance to operate. We know he's going to use his challenges and his timeouts correctly. So regardless of how good Dinwiddie is in this game, He's up against a coach that is probably going to outcoach him. And then you got to go up against Richie Hall on defense, who didn't what he's calling plays against. So it's not an easy road to victory for him. And I think that, that that just speaks to the respect that we have to give the Bombers at this point, because when you're back-to-back Great Cup champions and you're the team going in who's the favorite based on how great you've been in the regular season, that tells you all you need to know about the organization. Yeah, they've handled pressure very well. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Marsh... Yeah. You've been there for a couple days. I mean, listen, you look back at that West final. I was at the game. Um, I'm not sure I've ever been part of a crowd that was more impactful on a game. I mean, we saw the Lions in the last minute having to huddle with their season <laughs> on the line. I mean, it spoke. There was penalties. Um, Mike O'Shea said he wants this to be like a home game, and I'm sure half that stadium is going to be trying to get out there for it. But do you have a sense of what this crowd is going to be like. I mean, listen, Saskatchewan people hate the Bombers, and this would be official ownership of Mosaic Stadium if the Bombers <laughs> get this done. First win, first playoff win, first West final win, and first Grey Cup win if they can run the table. Um, do you think that the Bombers will have a big advantage with their fans in the building, or will it sort of be somewhat 50-50 in that any neutrals will be looking to maybe have the underdog pull the upset? I think the answer to that question uh, needs to be answered by another question, which is how much do Saskatchewan people actually love the CFL? That, that's the question I have, because if you actually love the CFL and you are a Saskatchewan Rough Riders season ticket holder or you bought tickets, your team's not in the game. We're always told every single year, this is the home of Canadian football and everybody lives here is such a CFL diehard. Are you a CFL diehard or are you just a fan of your team? Like that's the question I have because if they're just a fan of their team, yeah, Winnipeg's going to have the entire crowd on their side. If they are angry in Saskatchewan and want to show we own this stadium, keep your tickets, cheer for the Argos. Because I remember 2018 being in Edmonton when it was Calgary playing in that Grey Cup against the Ottawa Red Blacks. And it was, ladies and gentlemen, the 2019 West Division champions, the Calgary Stampeders. Ooh. It was like, are we in Alberta? Like, yeah, we are. But the Edmonton fans that were there had all decided, you know what? We ride with the Red Blacks tonight. And it created this amazing kind of friendly tension in the building that I would love to see come to life once again. So I'm looking at 2018 in Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa as the template. 
I learned that night that people that really love the Canadian Football League that came to that Grey Cup, they were all in on the Ottawa Red Blacks that night. And I would love to see that happen again on the other side here. Hey, one more for you. You mentioned that the Argos didn't seem to be uh, too interested in the elements yesterday at practice. Um, bombers are made for the cold. We saw it. We saw it last year. We saw it again last weekend. Yeah. How much of an advantage is it for Winnipeg, the fact that this one's outdoors in the prairies in the middle of November? It's an advantage. I don't care what anybody tells you. It's an advantage. It's whatever we decide to spin as storytelling and the Argos are telling you that they're fine. Tell me you're fine in the fourth quarter when your heater breaks on the sideline. Okay. Uh, like that, that's where I'm at on this whole thing is that Toronto yesterday essentially did a walkthrough with all of their winter jackets on and jerseys thrown on over top. Uh, the Bombers came out and held an actual football practice. Like they got after it on Wednesday on the first day. They've got the closed practice today. I, I wonder what each team is going to end up looking like in their, their private sessions. But uh, what I do know is that yesterday I, I watched the entire Bombers practice from outside of Libel Field in Regina. And uh, by the way, the only media member to do so. Okay, I want to I make that very clear that I was making an effort to see what the conditions would do to my body in a full winter suit getup. And it turned out that I survived the day. So I think the players are going to be just fine. Uh, but as I was watching practice, my face froze. I could not speak. Uh, I could not have done this interview with you if I was standing out there on the field. Winnipeg is going to, I think, acclimate themselves a little bit better than Toronto will. And at one point in Winnipeg's practice, Dietrich Nichols, defensive back number one, actually walked over to the heater that was running turned it off because there were some players standing with it. He turned off, you're going to love this hustler, <laughs> turned it off and without actually saying the word on your show here, I'll bleep myself. He said, F this thing and then just walked away. So, I, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. The boys are ready to go to make it three in a <laughs> row on Sunday. I can't wait. Listen, going to miss you and the rest of the gang out there on Sunday and uh, the rest of the weekend, of course, which is uh, equally as much of the Grey Cup festivities. But uh, cannot wait to see this. And thanks for everything this year. Good luck on Saturday. And, of course, folks, check out CFL.ca for all Marsh's content. And uh, hanging with the big guy, Dutch, on Saturday afternoon. Four hours of Grey Cup content. Cannot wait for it. Marshall, have a great Grey Cup weekend and enjoy the game. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Congrats on another great season covering the CFL and uh, and safe travels. Hustler, I look forward to talking to you when you get back. All right, great stuff with uh, Marsh, who's going to be doing some awesome work and great content all weekend long. One of our favorites and uh, truly one of the great people to listen to talk about the uh, the game on both sides of the football. All right, a quick update from Regina. Kyle Walters, uh, Ted Bryman uh, reporting that Ted, Kyle Walters said that Zach Caleros not a participant in practice today. Pretty clear that the Bombers are being as cautious as possible, giving Zach as much time to rest and recover from the ankle injury suffered late in the BC game. However, he is still expected to be the Bombers' starting quarterback as they go for three in a row on Sunday afternoon at Mosaic. Media day getting underway shortly and. uh Lots of cameras around the MOP. And of course, tonight, Zach Caleros, Stanley Bryant, Dalton Schoen, Mike O'Shea, all up for year-end CFL Player Awards in the Canadian Football League. I think there will be some hardware now, but the hardware this team is really concerned about, of course, is getting that third championship and another ring on Sunday at Mosaic Field. I got to give a shout out to our friends at the Nick and Nikki DQ group. Great supporters of ours. I know it's snowing outside, but if you're having a great cup party, 
What could be better than a bomber-themed Grey Cup cake? Yeah, they've got you covered. You can hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba if you want to get something specially made or pop into any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. And while you're there, don't sleep on those stack burgers, folks. If you're looking for a great quick burger, one of the best in the fast food game, they're at Dairy Queen right now with new buns, new sauces they launched the summer. Just phenomenal. As well as all your favorite ice cream treats and, of course, the world-famous Blizzard. Nick and Nicky DQ, four locations, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And hey, thanks again to everyone who entered in Little Brown Jug's Grey Cup Party Contest through that quick survey they did with us at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Great response from everyone. Wish you all luck. They'll be picking the winner later on today, and uh, they'll be delivering it somewhere in Manitoba Get you set up with $125 worth of Little Brown Jug beer and $100 GC from Smitty's to uh, load up on wings and any other goodies you might want for your Grey Cup party. Of course, if you're getting ready for Grey Cup, even if you're heading out to Regina, stop off at your local beer store or Little Brown Jug downtown and get Manitoba and Winnipeg's favorite local beer, 1919, and the rest of the great Little Brown Jug offerings. Maybe pop by your local beer store and grab one of the new Good Times variety packs as well. And, hey, you can also always order online at littlebrownjug.ca for citywide delivery. Big thanks to LBJ for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right. Uh, Of course, is Hall of Fame game tonight. Had a great chat off the top of the show with Kurt Kielbach on Timu Solani and Tepo Newman. From the broadcast booth, we go to... The Jets dressing room back into the 90s and a pleasure to welcome in former Winnipeg Jet and teammate of both Timo and Teppo, Mike Eagles, right now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Mike, what's going on? Thanks so much for doing this and welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so fired up about about the opportunity to come on the show and uh, and talk about those guys because it was just such a... Uh, I, I just think it's so fantastic for them and, and I'm so happy and privileged to have been there and be part of it, to part of their their career. Well, you know what I mean? Obviously we spent a lot of time talking with Tamu Solani, but Tepa was here first. And you of course were traded from Chicago to Winnipeg in the 1991 season, major debut for the Winnipeg Jets. What do you remember? First of all, about coming to Winnipeg at that time, uh, the team and the new opportunity you had with the Jets. Well, I was just thrilled. I mean, we just, we, we, I was kind of thinking when I was in, at, I was in Indianapolis at the time, got sent down by Chicago and kind of thinking that maybe that my career was coming, you know, I was at the, in the last year of my contract and um, wanted to kind of go out and play the best I could, but was thinking that possibly that could be it for me, you know? And so, um, and to get a, another opportunity to play in the NHL was thrilling um and to come to Winnipeg and kind of fit right in right away and then you know I got traded I think at a time the need was um basically the the injury bug had hit the team and at the time I I, I can't say 100% sure and speak for Mike but I think at the time it was a short-term a short-term help to help the team for the short term not necessarily for the long term but, you know, it ended up being, a, 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 you know, five years and, uh, you know, just a wonderful experience for, for me and uh, my family. What uh, what do you remember? First of all, did you know much about Teppo Newman from playing against him in the first couple of years of his uh, career? And uh, what did you think about the young Finnish blue liner once you became well, uh, an everyday Jet? 
you know, Teppo's a guy that you would not like necessarily, uh, unless you play with him every day, you, I mean, he just, just didn't, didn't stand like out in any one particular area. And so seeing, uh, so no, I would say I wouldn't know, wouldn't have known that much about Teppo, um, before I got there, but seeing him every day in practice and then every day in the game and you just, you just come to appreciate like the guy was so good you know, in all aspects of the game. And he's one of those all round guys, like so smart defensively, you know, not, not crushingly physical, but just always in the right spot. His, his reads were unbelievable. And so you could put him out in any situation and then a great, you know, a very good gifted offensive player in his own, in his own manner, so to speak, um, that uh, just making the, moving the puck at the right time, being able to read, the forecheck and knowing where the puck should go and everything, everything about his game was, was amazing to be honest with you, but it's just not something that, that when you're in, you're in the stands, you're not, you're maybe not coming out of your seat, but when you're on the bench watching me every day, you, you, you appreciate him so much as a player and how, a, uh, as a teammate. Um, How much did he make the players around him better? Oh, hundred percent. He was one of those guys that made you better, right? Because he'd give you the puck at the right time and and all all those things. And then when and then when you made a mistake, his defensive ability was was so good that he would get you out of trouble because he was able to break up two on ones, three on twos, and all that stuff, and always making those proper reads and breaking up plays when you might have made a mistake further up the ice. That you know, if it wasn't him back there, there might have been a better scoring chance. Or, you know, maybe there was no scoring chance because of the way he played it. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned the teammate. Um, you know, he was a, a quiet star, a very humble, somewhat shy coming over from Finland. Um, what was he like inside the room and as a uh, guy you went to battle with every night? Yeah, I mean, you're just, you're just such a, a classy uh, person all around, you know. And, um, you know, I just, you know, super humble and uh friendly and just a just a wonderful wonderful teammate he's often referred to as one of the most underrated players of his era and i mean you know he kept doing it basically a 20-year career yeah i mean when you look back uh you know would that be accurate i mean this is a guy that maybe if he played in some bigger markets would be more of a recognized star of that time because he certainly recognized that here in winnipeg yeah, I, 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 that's a very fair statement, and and you know, because you know because he played the bulk of his career in Winnipeg, maybe he didn't get the recognition. But the reality is, you know, even in a in, in a bigger market, um, you know, on on his team, he still might be overshadowed by some people that are doing one particular thing super well, and not the not the well rounded game that he had, and so, um, but you know, for us and for hockey people in general. And no hockey, Teppo was incredible defenseman. Mike Eagles, former Winnipeg Jet, with us celebrating Timu Solani and Teppo Newman and going into the Jets Hall of Fame. So, Mike, a couple years later, 92-93, the wait was over for the Jets. Timu Solani finally comes to Winnipeg. What were your first impressions of this Finnish kid? How much had you heard about him beforehand and you know, you get to training camp, you get to the beginning of the season. Now, what do you remember about Timu walking into that jet locker room? I honestly don't remember us sitting around, you know, saying, well, when's Timu going to get here? I mean, I think for me it was, you know, when we when we 
you know, in, in 92, when he came to training camp, oh, there's Tamu Solani. So he's here. But honestly, like, it's just, I mean, it, have you ever seen a guy more ready to come in and, you know, play in at the NHL level than, than he was? And to be put in the, the situations, too, to have success with the people around him that could help him be what live up to his potential too, because I always say like, you know, like, you know, how many times, you know, well, you can use Teppo and, and Teppo and Phil Housley and Freddie back there, you know, hitting Tamu in full stride where teams around the league were not ready for that. They didn't know how fast he was and how strong he was. And once he had half a step on you, you were done. And so he, he came into a situation with guys that on the on the back end and teammates that could that could get him the puck at the right time. And man, oh man, he was something else. You know, uh, you played a very different role uh, than Salani did. But did you ever get out there on the ice with them? They ever say uh, Eagles get get there in the I middle think with the uh Warm up and practice. <laughs> Those were the only times. <laughs> um, that rookie season he had is still legendary. I mean, 76 yeah. goals just simply doesn't happen anymore. Never mind for a guy in his first year in the National Hockey League. Was there a was there a moment or a period of time where you realized, holy smokes, this guy is an absolute superstar? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, my <laughs> one thing, my memory is not so is not as good as I would like it to be. But I can remember times when. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, like when he had half a step, he was so strong on his skates and his acceleration was so quick that if he had half a, half a step on a defenseman, they were toast. And uh, I think that, and his shot was, his release was amazing in stride. So I think the goalies had a real hard time figuring out when he was going to shoot the puck. And so um, I just think, I, I I don't know if I ever at a particular time that he did one thing that, you know, like I could say, you know, when, when Zamnoff scored the five goals in LA, we're like, Oh yeah, he's going to be a pretty good player. <laughs> <laughs> and every, every one of them were like highlight real goals. And we're like, yeah, I don't remember one time like that for Tamu. It's just that every day seeing him, you know, uh, his explosive speed and strength and his deceptive shot was, you know, was lethal in it you know uh in that first year and it was such an exciting year and you know we were talking with kirk Hillback. i mean you have solani kachuk and jamnov all join the team at the same time and uh i mean you want to talk about a boost to a franchise in an organization I mean, i'm not sure anyone could have imagined how good all of those players could be so early for the Winnipeg Jets, but I mean, it really is a fundamental change in the era of the franchise yeah. to when those young men walked into that room. Yeah. And you can, and, and also you could put Davidoff in that too, because he might not have had a long career, but he did score 30 goals that year as yeah. a rookie, you know? So it was, uh, you know, a big change because our team in 91, 92, obviously we, it was a defensive uh, group and all of a sudden the culture changed and the the style of play changed with with adding that kind of that amount of offense up front in one year was you know it was unheard of at that time. Solani, you know, when we think back to Solani, his interactions with fans were legendary. I think part of it was that he became such a big star so quickly with that rookie season. 
Um, but I mean, there are thousands of people that will talk about him taking the time to talk to people or sign an autograph or, um, what do you remember about Timu off the ice and the sort of guy he was as a teammate, okay. but also the way he interacted uh, with the people of Winnipeg as the brightest lights in the, uh, the brightest light in the, in the lineup. Oh, amazing. And and like those guys and that uh, you could, you know, you can talk about Timu and Tepo in the same breath when you talk about this stuff, they're such gentlemen to, and really, had respect for everybody, no matter, you know, uh, when and where they treated everybody with a great amount of respect. And Tama was, you know, phenomenal with the fans in terms of uh, wanting his attention and signing autographs. And I can speak about like my own, I had a, uh, my, my youngest at the time, every time, every time Tama saw me, he'd pick him up. Hello, Christopher, how you doing? Like he, he would just treat him like, he's just like, it's just I can. It was just so nice to uh, to see uh, Tamu at you know at, at you know at that level of stardom be so genuinely interested in in uh, in interacting with the fans was phenomenal for for the city and a phenomenal you know credit to him to him as a person. You know, uh, obviously Tamu went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Um, did you always keep an eye on what the Finn was doing uh, once you were finished playing as well and watched him, uh, you know, reach the heights that he did? Oh yeah. No question. I mean, I've, I, I've tried to keep up on what other people, I mean, we lose, we lose contact. I mean, obviously 2016 when they went back for the heritage game was just so amazing to reconnect with those guys, you know, and it was like, you, you, you didn't really, we didn't really miss a beat in terms of how we all got along and the, the time that we shared together during that week which was incredible but i mean i i do try to keep up with what people are doing and they'll lose obviously contact of course but it's nice to see that he had just such an um, amazing career and and i'm so happy for both of those guys and they're it's so well deserved hey before we go i mean you're of course a proud maritimer and out there at the st thomas being the ad you know bones very well uh, rick bonus at all yeah, I mean, Rick and I, I've known Rick for a long time. And if he was actually coaching in Moncton at the time when I, when I first got to Winnipeg, he was the head coach. And I think he was expecting me down there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I've known him for a long time and done a few golf tournaments with him over the years. And it's just wonderful to see him back, uh, you know, and then seeing the team do so well is, is, is fantastic. Well, it's been a really exciting start to the season, but Regardless of the wins and losses, this is a special night for Winnipeg fans. Um, putting 27 and 13 up in the rafters along with the other Jets greats in the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame. Mike, this was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for doing this. All the best to you and your family and uh, the folks out in the Maritimes and uh, all your athletes at St. Thomas. All right. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. All right, great stuff from Mike Eagles. That was a, a lot of fun catching up with Mike and, of course, Kurt as well. And What a cool atmosphere it should be tonight when the Timu and Teppo get their numbers raised into the rafters as part of the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame. Um, been a great show today. Let's get Michael Remus back in here. And, Remo, I know you've been paying attention while Mike was on to uh, the latest coming out of Regina as it pertains to Zach Caleros. Uh, sounds like the quarterback might give a go with practice tomorrow. Yeah, Ed Tate uh, tweeting. I believe we're having Ed on tomorrow. Is that accurate? That is that. That is that is the plan. We're just okay. working on. Actually, so, no, he is. He is going to be on in the first hour of tomorrow's program. 
Okay, so he said from Z- practice. Yeah, so he said Zach did not practice today. Expects to tomorrow and play on Sunday. Exhale here, Justin Dunk. For anyone who wants to do some uh, walk analysis, uh, he tweeted a video of Zach walking to the podium. <laughs> this is what we read. It was a video of him walking in, having a conversation, and then behind the from the back view of him walking up. So if you want to analyze his movement, if you got any specialists out there. Um, so that's where we're at with the uh, Calaris ankle watch. I didn't think I thought it was, there was no going to be no watch. I thought no, he's fine. But uh, this, I'm I'm fully invested in it. I got to be honest. Well, well, I'll tell you what. Back to our why not question of the day. I'll be honest. Since from what we heard from Rick Bonus, I'm far more worried about Nikolai Ehlers injury than Zach Caleros's. I think Zach's going to play. I think the Bombers are going to be ready. I, I we have no idea about how serious this issue is with Nikolai Ehlers. And when you hear it, and again, if you're just jumping on with us a little later on, we played Rick Bonus in the beginning of the program. Um, he has said as it pertains to Nikolai Ehlers, everything is on the table. And that could include a potential surgery that could be sh- being shut down for a long time. And um, tell you what, Remo, that is, uh, you know, that is just really unfortunate with how well everything's been going and the exciting notion of getting Ehlers back in the lineup. If um, he's out long-term, um, certainly just puts more and more pressure on the guys right now that have been carrying the weight of the team without 27 in the lineup. Uh, yeah. So I'm trying to, yeah, I, I agree with you. That'd be a big, uh, a big loss. Uh, if he was out long-term, you know, see some people in chat here speculating that he could be out for the season. I, I, I mean, I have no idea. I think it's certainly a possibility based on what he said. We don't know, even know what the injury is. He would only say lower body. But the fact that he skated yesterday, didn't skate today, and he said uh, they're going to have other people look at it and everything's on the table. That doesn't sound good. Uh, unlike the Claris injury. Uh, and I have the video of him. We want to pull it up. Last oh, you do right now? Okay, yeah. yeah. Let's play it before we get to the cool bet lines. This is the uh, the latest look at Zach Caleros walking in Regina before Sunday's Grey Cup. First, it was the stairs coming out of the plane. No practice the next couple days. He is able to get to the podium today for media day. So uh, roll it, Remo. Let's uh, let's evaluate. All right. Okay, so here it is. Zach Caleros has... Oh, it's a good look. A long walk down the hallway. Okay, so that's him in a zip-up. I believe walking down, he's talking to someone. I don't know who that is. Is it could someone be Darren Cameron? Get out of the way, get out of the way. We're trying to look at Zach's ankle and Zach's leg and his walking motion right now. There's a lot of suspense right now as they finish this conversation. The guy gets out of the way. Is that DC? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is DC. Man, yeah. he's jacked. He looks like a linebacker. Good it, lord, Darren, yeah. he's been spending his nothing. He hasn't been uh, missing any time in the weight room. That's okay. for sure. So here's Zach. Walking from the back, going up. Looks okay. I think he looks better than he did the other day, Huss. But he's walking. I up do to the pod- too, but it's not, it's not uh 100% no. right now. Well, we'll find out a lot more tomorrow because as I said, Ed Tate reporting that uh, the plan is that Zach will practice with the boys. And uh listen, the bottom line is it will take so much to get him off the field for Sunday. I guess the big question is he will be out there. How close to 100% will be and what will his mobility be like? But tell you what, if they can do what they did last week and that's run the football down the throat of their opposition behind that incredible offensive line, um, that'll take a lot of the load off the starting quarterback. But uh, can't wait for it. We'll have tons more on the Grey Cup tomorrow. 
Uh, Ken is going to join us from Regina. Ed Tate will join us from Regina. Mike Hogan, voice of the Argos, will join us from Regina. And we'll also talk some Jets with Murata Tesh after tonight's game against the Anaheim Ducks. Before we go, let's get to the cool bet lines. By the way, there are literally thousands of betting options for the World Cup. Make sure you get in on that before for any pre-tournament wagers before uh, Qatar kicks off with the opening game on Sunday. And then the rest of the tournament gets going on on Monday. That's all there. Cool bet. Tons of NHL action tonight. The Jets are minus 217 favorites tonight. Mm -hmm. Minus one and a half plus 118 on that puck line to win by two. And uh, my wager, I, I'm I'm rolling back with this. Kyle Connor scores tonight. Plus 125 is the goal prop for Kyle Connor. And uh, listen, the dam's going to break sooner or later. I'm not even minding plus 570 on two goals tonight. What about a hat trick? What would a hat trick be? 22 to one. It's bound to happen sooner or later. I guess I did say when he scores, he's going to score four or five in a game. But maybe someone, maybe Gail McDonald out there will uh, will get four, well, hopefully five goals tonight and win a million bucks. Other games tonight, Boston, a huge minus 346 favorite at home against the Flyers. Canes, you don't see the Avalanche underdogs too often. Carolina, minus 131 favorites at home against Colorado. Pick them between the Cavs and Blue Jackets. Dallas plus 159 underdogs against the Panthers. Tampa, slight favorite, minus 117 against the Calgary Flames. The Devils, plus 119. It's a pretty wild number for a team that just can't lose. In Toronto against the Leafs, Leafs minus 140. Pick them with the Penguins in Minnesota to take on the Wild. Predators, a slight minus 122 home favorite against the Islanders. The Blues, Playing much better as of late. They are minus 116 at home against the Washington Capitals. Jeez, uh, we got four more, three more games tonight. Rangers and Kraken. Kraken plus 120 home dogs. Arizona three plus 300 in Vegas. That's going to be an ornery Vegas team after losing to the Sharks. Man, the puck line's two and a half on that one, plus 115 for Vegas. Um, Detroit at San Jose, Sharks minus 120, and the LA Kings minus 113 in Vancouver to take on the Canucks, who broke that losing streak and won in Buffalo. This is the first game back on the road trip. We do have an NFL game tonight. It's the Packers and the Tennessee Titans. Oh, the line has moved from three and a half to three. We got in at the right time. You can check out today's lock shop uh, for our thoughts on the Thursday nighter, as well as some other props. And just before we roll, update on the Grey Cup. Bombers, five and a half point favorites right now against the Toronto Argonauts. Total for the game, 48 and a half. And Bombers, heavy money line favorite at minus 238. It's all there for you at Cool Bet Waiting. If you do want to uh, drop a few sprinkles on the games, and if you've never played a Cool Bet before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $200. All right, we went a little bit long today, but for good reason. So many great stories and memories of Timu Solani, Tapo Newmanen. Cannot wait for the game tonight, folks, and can't wait for tomorrow. The return of marbles, a ton of Grey Cup content. Murata Tesh as well. Do not miss it. One o'clock central right here. Hey, if you haven't already, hit that red subscribe button before you leave. Turn your notifications on so you know when we are live. 
And thanks to everyone listening on the podcast as well. Of course, you can get Winnipeg Sports Talk wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Enjoy the game and the festivities tonight. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. Getting ready for the Bombers. Looking for the three-peat Sunday in Regina. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.